Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have booked shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Before we jump into this episode, we're going to check out a track from The Weight We Carry. The song's called Bite Back, off of their Volume 2 recording, available now from Sawyer Collective. Welcome to episode 31. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. There you'll find links to all the streaming information as well as social media. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. So tonight, uh, we're kind of going to do something pretty cool and, and bring uh, two people onto the podcast for the first time in a while. Uh, in, the, in the beginning, I guess we'll kind of do kind of like a separate thing and then we'll kind of jump into the band they're in together now. So we're going to have Dean and uh, Paul from The Weight We Carry. So how's everything going for you guys tonight? Uh, we'll start with Dean, I guess. Good, man. It's been a, been a busy day. I got a lot going on at my house, <laughs> and I've been extremely stressed out. I had to take the dog to the vet. But oh, really? Took my mind off of everything, so glad to be here. Well, hope I'm just excited. Okay, I'm excited to talk hardcore yeah. for, like, for a while, like straight with people, like instead of just – the idiots in my band. Well, I mean, I guess well, one of them. You know, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess uh, I know Dean. You've listened to some episodes. I'm not sure if you had the chance to, Paul. But like the way I like to do it is kind of like in a timeline. Um, so the way we're gonna do it is just kind of talk about you guys' upbringing first, and then we'll kind of talk about the bands after. So uh, I guess Dean, we'll start with you. Uh, kind of tell us about your upbringing a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I grew up. <clears throat> in Rochester and uh, moved out to Walworth, which is east of Rochester, like 94, 
seven years old and uh yeah basically dwelled out here through my whole childhood and uh moved back to the city in my mid-20s and about three years ago i bought a house out in walworth so i've been living here and uh yeah a lot going on my uh my wife's i got married in september wife's pregnant now so I know uh, you got a second one on the way. Congratulations. So we'll have to get the kids together next yeah, year. Congrats. I guess congrats back to you. It's, it's cool that we're all full circle now because obviously, Paul, we'll get to that too. We all, you know, you, you, I see your family pictures on the social yeah. media all the time, you know. So, uh, well, Paul, yeah, let's talk about your upbringing a little bit first before we get into all that stuff. Uh, similar, like uh, I grew up uh, – I, I went to Gananda, which is outside of Rochester, about 30 minutes, K through 12, which I don't know if people know that is, but I live in Macedon, New York now again, but I moved to the city uh, when I was like 18 or so and just hung out, you know, going to shows, skateboarding. Uh, it's where I met a lot of the people I'm still friends with to this day. But, you know, no one I went to school with really liked hardcore or punk except for like a handful of older kids. Actually, that was, that's a Division 9. I don't know if that's a throwback for Rochester Hardcore. I don't know if people remember them or not. But I grew up with those kids out in uh, Wayne County. And uh, I don't know, like, went to the city, lived, lived the city life as I, you know, older teen and through my 20s. Then when I had kids, I moved back out to the country and, Live eight minutes from Dean now to this day. <laughs> a couple of country boys who <laughs> still like to go to the city and play shows whenever we get a chance to. Well, that's interesting because for people that aren't familiar, obviously you kind of alluded to it, but you know Rochester is is pretty centrally located, but you have a lot of outlying areas, and it's interesting that you guys would end up kind of close together and in, in similar outlying areas or whatever. Um, so before we get into like hardcore and punk, like what kind of stuff were you guys listening to, uh, before all that stuff? I grew up on classic rock. My father plays guitar and, uh, I kinda, I got an older brother. He's two years older than me. He picked up the guitar really well. I could never figure out how to play a stringed instrument, but I was always banging on shit. So my dad got me into drums when I was a kid and, uh, yeah, like I said, I grew up, grew up on classic rock. Let's, I, he took us to see Aerosmith and the Black Crows in like 94, I want to say, at the War Memorial. So that was like my first concert. Found a couple cassette tapes of his. And yeah, I mean, that was pretty much it for me. Like until, you know, my teenage years when I get into ska, punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> Well, obviously, obviously we'll get into like you playing drums and like Donna Warren stuff in a little bit but like were you playing drums like more like standard like like rock and roll and stuff initially then yeah I think I mean like ACDC obviously the easiest most in the pocket drummer ever was you know one yeah. of the first bands I got into but I think by the time I got a drum set and started really playing I was already in the you know Green Day's Dookie and the Scott Devil and More from Money Money Boston's. Those were like the first albums I was trying to play on. So, yeah, you know that that Money Money Boston's that was a real door opener for me. That and that I don't think that band's really come up on the podcast too much, but it's something something I've been thinking about a lot lately because 
Like they would play here a lot and they would always have like a couple ska bands here and there too, but they would always have like hardcore and punk bands on tour with them. Like H2O was on tour with them back in the day. Yeah. Of them and like just a lot of bands like that. Oh yeah. I think I've seen the Boston's. I saw them first when I was like 12, I want to say. Some college say, around here. I don't don't get Dean going. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'll talk about the Boston's all day. Love that I band. I wore a suit to a Boston's <laughs> concert once in uh, 96, I want to say. So there's a trivia fact that well, I don't think would have ever made it on here. But <sighs> Yeah. So. Glad I could bring yeah, it out. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. So, Paul, what were you kind of into before everything kind of uh, got you going with more of the hardcore punk route? Uh, so, my family is a Rush family. I don't know if, like, everyone's family has a band that everybody seems to like, but my family's band was Rush. So I've seen Rush live probably like 12 times or so. Uh, gone backstage, let, you know, met Getty Lee and Alex Lyson. Uh I don't know. Like, Rush was, Rush was like the first, I don't know, it's just like, it was like in my DNA. Uh, I guess, you know, there's a story about my dad taking me to uh, – see George Thorogood when I was like three years old or something. He couldn't get a sitter, but he won tickets on CMF or something. So he like brought me backstage and they were like screaming at him to get the kid out of there and like blowing smoke in my face or something. But yeah, classic rock, you know, if you, I don't know if you want to consider rush classic rock was sort of like prog rock, but that kind of music. But my brother uh, is nine years older than me. So, I mean, I was born in 83 and like 89, he went and saw Suicidal Tendencies. So like, I was uh, onto punk metal, like even when I was like a kid. I mean, he loved Van Halen and stuff too, but uh, yeah, I remember like him showing me uh, in his room, I was like looking at the Suicidal Tendencies album cover when I was like a child. Like that was kind of like my, it's funny because it's my brother and no one knows my brother outside of like my close friends, you know, he's like my best man, my wedding and stuff, but he wasn't like in the Rockstar hardcore scene at all. But he's kind of like the one that introduced me to like punk and hardcore, even when I was a kid. And then I skateboarded. So from when I was like fifth grade on, so that also, I mean, the only time I ever really chose any music was punk <laughs> really when I was a kid. And then I sort of graduated into other stuff, you know, eventually, but, uh, I never had like a big rock phase or anything like that because I was so young when I started getting into all that stuff. Yeah, I like Nirvana for a little bit. Just, you know, I mean, I was yeah. when they blew up or whatever. But, yeah. Uh, a lot of that stuff intertwined. I guess like so Dean said, like, you know, he was getting into Dookie and stuff like that. So like, yeah. you know, I didn't really, when I was a kid, I wasn't like putting labels on it. Like, oh, I like punk now. You know, it was just like, oh, I like this band. I like that band. I always kind of joke that like uh, when I was a kid, I thought I was super punk and then everything I, I really liked as a kid turned out to be like what people consider like the beginning of hardcore, like minor threat, black flag and stuff like that. Uh, like seven seconds. I mean, I was never straight edge, but I remember like that, that young till I die song. I saw it on like a skate video when I was a kid and I was like, Oh my God, this is all I want to listen to. You know, like, I don't know, like that, that's just like, and then from there, I just, you know, you had to get mixtapes from your friends or whatever, and like, go, you know, be lucky enough to go to a show. Like my first show I ever went to, I was 15, by chance, I, I went to a hardcore punk show in Syracuse, uh, 
my friend Kevin from out there was sleeping over his house. And he goes, there's a show. I'm like, I've only been to like Rush concerts. What are you talking about a show? He's like, ah, this, I think Disgruntled Postal Workers is, is, is their last show. I was like, the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, and I get there and like, you know, it's like, Sarah, you know, late 90s, like 97 or something like that, I give or take. And Syracuse was, was ripping, you know, and it's freaking kid, you know, place was nuts. And it was the, uh, the freaking, uh, I just blanked on the name of it. What's like the Syracuse venue, like the community center. The Westcott community center. Yeah, Westcott. It was at Westcott. I get there and there's like people with mohawks and shit. You know, I was like 15 years old or like something, or maybe not even 15. I was young. And it's like, I don't know, that was my first taste of it. I was like really, really young. I got lucky because I knew a couple people older than me that, that were my friends and they just, I don't know. But even then, I didn't really realize like there was hardcore and punk bands on that show. Everything was just like, I just knew I liked it. I didn't know what it was, you know, or like, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, I just, that, this sounds awesome. These, these kids are going insane. Like, why is he kicking people? Like, you know, like the dude in the band, I don't know the hardcore band, but he had like an AK 47 on the back of his calf. I remember. And his bassist like bumped him while he was singing and he fucking like leg chopped him like in the thigh. And then just they kept going. Like, I've never seen that since. Like, in any hardcore shows I've been to, I've been to a lot since then. I don't know, but I just remember thinking, like, thinking, like this is fucking, like, next level. And I like it, <laughs> you know. I've never thought about this weird comparison until hearing you say this just now. Um, but I feel like kind of going to your first hardcore show is kind of like your first high. It's like something that you'll never really – like there's gonna be a lot of really good ones again, but like that first show you go to, where it's like the, yeah. the experience, the experience you just mentioned, you're just like, I want that again, you know. And it's it's always gonna be good again, but sometimes it might not be like that first experience, you know. It feels um, weird because everyone has like that. I remember which band played, this band played. Like I don't have that about mine, but I can tell you like, I can tell you things that happened in like the Circle Pit and and like you know watching kids mosh, and I was like, and it was like Syracuse was dressing really preppy at the time. So it was like the like the dorkiest looking kids. Like I was a skater kid, so I was like shitty, you know, ripped up jeans or whatever. And like this kid in like a fucking he's got like a tie under his sweater, like and he's like roundhouse kicking people that he doesn't even know. And I was like, what's going on? Yeah, that's, uh, one thing, that's one thing that really hasn't come up in conversation too often in these episodes is the weird fashion in the '90s and even in the early 2000s. Oh yeah, you know. Well, it's like Refused was was starting to pop. You know, like they just signed a victory. I don't. Uh, I don't know if Shape of Punk to Come was out yet, but it was about to be. It was like right about then. And like, um, I don't know. That band was big in Syracuse at the time, I remember. That's what my friend Kev, my friend Kevin, shout out to Kevin Cork. He was a, he sang in Saving Throw. I don't know if you remember that band or not. Yeah, uh, I, put out, I put out a couple of their records. So I might oh, that's right. That's right. Remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember a couple of things about that band. So <laughs> it was before, it was before Saving Throw. And, uh, I forgot about that. Um, see, that's the thing. I, I don't. Me and Dean don't have the best memory. That's what I was talking about earlier. Like, we were like the drinkers, so we like we stumbled into stuff. You know, we kind of remember it, but it's hazy at times. I don't know what you're talking. About. So, uh, one thing I want to mention real quick before I ask Dean about the whole thing we, you and I were just talking about is you mentioned Kevin Seconds or Seven Seconds, but Kevin Seconds from Seven Seconds. Yeah. Turned, turned uh, sixty the other day. I saw. 
So yeah, which is awesome because he was like six and stuff. Yeah, and uh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's just crazy to see all these dudes from like the first generation, like like so. Old and you now. hear that they're sixty, and you're like, how? Yeah, exactly. So, so Paul kind of again, I'm almost forty. So exactly, I just turned forty last week. So, so yeah. me, I guess. Oh yeah, Paul happy kinda, birthday! Thanks. Happy birthday! <laughs> so Paul kind of gave us his kind of route to kind of what got him. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I got I got rolling. What um, do you have like kind of that that memory that kind of put you in in a spot where you're like, this is kind of the hardcore punk route is where I want to be, or was it more of like a transitional thing for you? Yeah, I think like my older brother got me into like punk rock, you know, he played guitar. I remember sitting on the couch watching him play through Pennywise albums, you know, just, wow, that's that rips, you know, so fast. And then, um, you know, he was good friends with Chris Rivera, the singer from Donna war. They were like childhood friends. So being the younger brother, they used to beat the shit out of me all the time and kind of <laughs> they brought me up, you know? And, uh, I guess once I stopped being a little punk, Chris, you know, kind of got me into hardcore music. Um, Dave green as well. I met Dave. He was a year older than my brother. And, uh, basically I got a drum set. And when I was in the sixth grade, this kid, Eric, I went to school with, played bass. He goes, oh, my neighbor plays guitar. Bring your drum set over. We'll start a band. I said, oh, cool. That's how I met Dave Green, the guitarist for Dawn of War. And at that point, that's when I really got into Pantera and, uh, you know, started listening to hardcore, more death metal. I think, like, Cannibal Corpse and Six Feet Under, uh, they bought me a Morbid Angel album, Gateways to Annihilation, like, I had never heard shit like that before. Earth Crisis was some of the first stuff I I heard. Were you trying to was, play drums? Were you trying to play drums like those death metal albums initially too then? Or or was that just kind oh, of... Oh, yeah. Immediately when I heard, <laughs> you know, the Gateways to Annihilation album, I was like, I need to figure out how to play double bass that quick. That's, that's incredible, you know. Uh, I never did, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying. But yeah, basically when I uh when I met those guys, they you know, once I got a little older, got into that, that's when uh that's when I got it. Away from the ska music and the I got back into it, but yeah, basically death metal came before hardcore for me, I think. Well, that's one thing that I think we'll get into later that I've kind of realized, and it, it kind of jumps back to what Paul was saying about not really labeling anything when we were younger, is like everything kind of comes full circle when you're an adult. Like everything that we kind of, we were, we were ashamed to admit we were into once we got into like hardcore and we were too cool to admit we liked the boss tones or like whatever other punk or other, you know, I, I liked rap before and that wasn't cool to admit you liked at one point, you know. Yeah, like it's like all that stuff we're into now, like all the stuff you thought you you know you're into when you were a kid, you just kind of get back into, and it's right. I think a lot of that obviously has to do with having kids too, and wanting to kind of introduce them to a lot of the stuff that we liked when we were kids, you know. Yeah, I'm definitely reliving. Like, man, what was I doing when I was like my you know my oldest son is 11? It's like, man, I was doing this and that, and he's like, I like this YouTube background music. I'm like, what? Like. No, I mean he likes he likes some of the stuff that you know he he thinks every hardcore band is my band, but uh, they're not quite there yet. But I'm also on that 
I don't want to push it. <laughs> uh, but it definitely has me re- like remembering old stuff that from when I was a kid, like I don't think about this stuff too often. That's like what, I, when you sent me the questions, I was like, man, it's like just opening up all these like old doors. I haven't opened in a long time of how this all started, I guess. It just sort of like I jumped in and never looked back and I never, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I didn't think about it. I just 37 and I'm still doing it, you know? Yeah. That's one thing I really enjoy about, about this is, is this the whole reflection idea, I guess. Um, so then Dean, I guess you're, you were kind of talking about the early stages of Donna war or was there another band before that? Or, or was it always kind of Donna war from the beginning? No. Nah, yeah. That's basically how it started is uh, I met Dave green like I said, that, my older... That's how you met him? You brought your drums over? Or you met him before that? To his neighbor's house, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, they I lived the next far. town over, and, uh, you know, this was right around the time, like I said, I had just gotten into Pantera, started smoking weed. It's like, okay, this is cool, I got a drum set, like, <laughs> go over and spend the night at my buddy's house, and we'll make noise. And, that's pretty uh, sick, actually. Like, having <laughs> sleepovers when band practice, like, at the very beginning yeah, yeah. of like your yeah, I, I didn't have that dude. everyone i was in a band with was like 10 years older than me yeah we were set up in his garage dave dave brought his uh practice amp over and i think the first songs we played were like weezer you know some fucking weezer tunes and uh we weren't we weren't really writing music we didn't know what we were doing but like I said, my older brother, he knew Dave Green, but he wasn't really friends with him. So I kind of became friends with Dave. And then as I got older, let's see, let's jump forward a couple of years. Now I'm in the eighth grade. That's kind of how Donna War started out. We, uh, I had known Dave. Dave became great friends with Chris and, um, you know, they were big into hardcore. I shit. They took me to see Hatebreed like 10 times probably, you know, back then, 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. And, uh, yeah, basically, we started the band as a five-piece band. We had two singers. Uh, Classic. Classic, yeah. early classic 2000s. Rochester <laughs> hardcore. You need two yeah. singers. We didn't know what we were doing though. We knew, like those guys knew what they liked and the direction they wanted to go. But we were all, you know, self-taught amateur musicians. We didn't have, we didn't know what we were doing. So we we were playing Rage Against the Machine songs, Deftones, stuff like that, and uh, we picked up a bass player, a kid that was a year older than me. His name was Ted Carlson, and I actually just found out a few months ago he passed away in November. I don't know what the cause was, but, I mean, he was a uh, Air Force dude. He was a veteran. He was a great kid. Um, he ended up quitting the band. The other singer quit the band. Uh, Big walkouts or mutual? Just no, nah, I think <laughs> – they just weren't really into hardcore music and that was gotcha. the direction we were going in. And yeah. <laughs> basically like prior to them quitting the band, I think I was a freshman in high school. We had written like three or four songs maybe. And Dave Green was a senior at the time. 
and uh, we tried out for the high school talent show. And, you know, we went up and fucking performed our songs for a couple of teachers or whoever was the judges. <laughs> and when they posted who made the talent show, my name was up there, but not the band. So I was like, what the fuck is this about? Like, well, you know, if you could just go up and play a drum solo, that would be great. Really? <laughs> yeah. So we were all very insulted. And uh, my friends who actually live up the road had this big barn. So we threw a party and we, the, the teacher was, her name was Miss Fletcher. She was the one that ran the talent show. So we had this big ass party and we called it Fuck Fletcher Fest. And just invited like the entire school. So like a hundred kids showed up to this barn. Donna War played like shitty cover songs and like the four songs we had written. And it was just a fucking rager party. And everybody was talking about it in school, you know, like, oh, fuck Fletcher Fest. Like the teacher caught a lot of flack for this. I didn't end up playing the talent show. You know, we had this huge revolt and, uh, we ended up throwing like several more fuck Fletcher fests because they were such good parties <laughs> and it just like, became a thing. Like yearly or like that summer you just, no, like that. yeah, that year, <laughs> like just <laughs> ragers. Like we were Strike getting kegs and shit. Yeah. I mean, I was a freshman at the time. Was it just you guys playing every time too, when you would have those parties? Yep. It would like, we'd play, but like it was more or less just a huge party, you know? Anyways, that's where uh, Adam Deacon showed up. He was a Henrietta kid, but he moved out to Ontario and uh, came to Wayne Central where we were, where we were going to school. And um, Deacon would come to these parties, and he was already into hardcore music. He's like, fuck, this is cool, man. These guys are good. Oh, cool. A hate breed cover band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we literally covered, like nine songs off of satisfaction so pretty much the whole album which is another story in its own but actually uh, no because pause that i i I do want to talk about that for a second because yeah i've talked about numerous times for for legitimately 23 years now that the drumming on that album is perfect and like for a hardcore album if you want to if you if you're introducing somebody like to play instruments for a band like this is for guitar, this is for bass, and for drums, like give them satisfaction. So like for you, was that album influential for you as a drummer then? You know what I mean? Like for hardcore? Oh yeah, 100%. I think Last Breath was the first song that we kicked off where, you know, like I was talking about like Morbid Angel, like I could actually play the double bass on Last Breath and that was like, <laughs> that was impressive to, you know, 14, 15 year old kids. Bella bass was like everything back then too yeah and uh yeah i mean we we covered the shit out of that album i talked to a couple of older heads that told me like i thought you guys were a hatebreed cover band back then. <laughs> you know? I, 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 the first time i ever saw you guys was at the penny arcade and i think you guys played like three hatebreed songs or something yeah, like we that. probably did like, yeah maybe more i, don't, I was like are they just a hate breed cover band? But then you guys were playing your own ones. It's like, oh, okay. They're just like, okay, yeah. this band sucks. <laughs> well, no, no. Back, back then, everyone had a cover, dude. Like, yeah. you just, like, every hardcore band played a cover, you know. A lot of yep. bands were, like, doing the corn beginning. 
Yeah, like, we, we get everyone up, up to stage with <laughs> yeah. the beginning of Blind or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Da, da, we da, da. Back then, when, yeah, when then I they met play Dave their Green. own song and everyone's like, oh, now I'm going to go back to the bar. I remember I had seen you guys once uh, when, when the initial with the lineup at, at the Penny Arcade, which we'll, we'll get into that era in a second too, because like Inherence and all those bands were kind of like a separate yeah. entity, but they were obviously around. Yeah, but then, but then, like you guys, like you were kind of referencing, you guys started doing the Hatebreed covers, and then somebody posted something on one of the Rochester Hardcore message boards about you guys, and they were like, "Yo, this band's starting to get good now. They covered Hatebreed," but like I think <laughs> there was like a Wisdom and Change show maybe too, or one of those bands that you guys br- like played with, like in like a lodge or something. Yep, I-, I wasn't there, but I remember hearing about that. Like, do you remember anything from that show at all? Because I feel like that was <sighs> we that played part. we played with Wisdom and Chains. Pennsylvania that was kind of that was a f- more than a few years later um yeah, a lodge show though actually I remember the lodge show it was Pat Stefano put it on it was uh I remember the band can I say played there was a lot of bands on it burning bridges played they were really great I remember that and Jim Labatt's when we played a Hatebreed cover song he was doing roundhouse kicks <laughs> In the lodge, <laughs> and I was like, "Holy shit, this guy is ginormous!" Like, I mean, yeah, I was like, lo- I was like, four, not maybe thirteen or fourteen years old at the time, and I'm like, "Wow, somebody's actually like <laughs> paying attention to us. This is cool, you know." That's probably who told me about it that I'm thinking of now because he told me about the Hatebreed covers. So that's that's probably yeah. You know? And <laughs> I distinctly remember everybody just kind of standing around while we were playing our songs. And then we played like Last Breath or something. And uh, yeah, watching Labats do like roundhouse kicks. I'm like, holy shit. It's a grown ass man. <laughs> it's, it's still, though, if you, you rip a hate read song at a show, you generally get uh, some old heads trying That's, to rip some roundhouse kicks. Like you said, Josh, that Satisfaction album is like basically uh, what for me that was like what hardcore was supposed to be <laughs> you know what i mean yeah no exactly like i i that 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 the drumming on that album's great i mean they have a couple of really good albums i haven't listened to as much of their more recent stuff but their first like three or four albums are, are really good but that first one yeah especially, um, funny i i like hatebreed and i like uh i like the satisfaction album but I, I brought up that uh the shape of punk to come from refused i actually traded a kid my uh Hatebreed album for that album. Really? <laughs> yeah. But dude, I was like punk. I was I would, I tried really hard back then to not like hardcore, but all my friends went to hardcore shows. I mean, I didn't not like hardcore. I liked. I just liked punk more. I wa- I was trying to hold on to punk so hard, uh, which, like I said, everything I thought was punk turned into like American hardcore. Like, so I've accidentally been listening to hardcore for a long time, but. When I was a kid, man, I, I liked, I just liked, I don't know. I, I didn't not like screaming, but uh, I, I did like the not scream. I mean, like, you know, like uh, Keith Morrison, like the first Black Flag stuff, like that fucking guttural, like, yeah, man, yeah, man, yeah, man. Like that sound is what I wanted more than the screaming uh, when I was a kid. When I was like 17, 18 is when it sort of like changed. Like Visions of Disorder actually is uh what kicked me over the edge and like I sort of like stopped like fighting it I guess I don't know why I was fighting it you know when you're a kid you do stupid stuff but 
I don't know. That was like the kick off, kick off for me. So, but that's also like partially like you know, not to jump too far ahead for a second, but like with the with the weight we carry, it's like me and Dean. You know, we do a lot of the writing together, and it's like those two aspects come together. And I think that's why you hear a lot of people be like, every hardcore band ever has tried to sound like Hatebreed at one point or another, and maybe like our drumming to a degree. But I've also like sort of that's the one thing I push on now is I don't try to sound like hate breed purposely like with our stuff, you know, just cause yeah. en- enough bands have done that. I feel like. Yeah. I remember back then too, when we used to cover so many hate breed songs, Brock Thrasher telling Chris Rivera, like you sound like a young Jamie Josta. And I watched Chris like turn all red in the face, cream his pants, yeah. you know, like it was hilarious. Dude, Brock, Brock was the man back then too, dude. Yeah. With, uh, that was before, the first time I saw you guys wasn't with Inherence. It was with uh, Brock's first band before then. Not his first band ever, probably, but like Defcon 5 or something. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember those guys. He'd yeah. come out in the body bag. Do you guys remember that <laughs> shit? And he'd be like flopping on stage. And I was like, yo, what is going on? And like, then this, you know, and he was like the first, like, he was so jacked back then. Like, he was no a performer, one, man. Yeah, dude. And he'd be, I remember him like jumping. And he'd be like, he's going to hit the lights at the arcade, like, on the ceiling. Yeah. I was like, yo, this dude is, like, a maniac. Yeah, that's uh, that's where I was going, basically, with once Deacon joined the band, we actually, so, like, he saw us at these barn parties. He became you know, tighter and tighter with Chris, and then found out of his dad's house nowhere to live and chris's like the best parent kathy and ted like they let us practice at their house and with them and stay with them for a while and that's when deacon joined the band and uh you know we we were writing a lot of music at that time and i remember we were we were playing some some goofy shows. We put like our first show was at like the West. Uh, what is it called? It's out in like f- further East than I live. Like uh, a Newark or something. No, nah, no. Nah, like uh, I played Devin a couple shows in like, there, like the there. Red Creek what? community center or something like that. <laughs> like, I never made it out that far. I don't think. Yeah. But like, I remember the first time, uh, Brock gave Chris a flyer for a show at the Penny and our name was just written on the bottom of it and it was like holy shit we're playing at the Penny Arcade like and that was the first show was Brock was our he was the dude that like brought us into the scene basically introduced us to you know playing legitimate shows and it was uh it was a lot of I think I'm so young, or I was at the time. I'm not, I don't feel young anymore. But back then, I think I kind of missed the Rochester hardcore scene. Like, I got into it the first time I played at the Penny, I was 14. But that was in like 2000, 2001, sometime around then. So I feel like. It was just it, a metal scene at that point. I always like, talk about it like it was two factions of Rochester hardcore. I mean, 
it was more like late nineties, like early two thousands things. I, I mean, we're still definitely still happening, but there was like uh, the metal version of people who called themselves hardcore, like the division nine or like down driven and, and like uh, even like 40 ounce failure and stuff. Like, yeah, a lot of people, you know, back then it was like, there was like that people called that hardcore, but that was more like metal kind of like earth crisis is like more metal compared to like, you know, like stand fast. Like they weren't playing on the same shows, obviously like, but they're both hardcore to a degree. And like, you know, whatever people can argue what's more hardcore, whatever, if they want. But I feel like there was just two factions. Like that's why. Yeah. Cause, cause I, I, I like, cause Fairport's like 15 minutes from where I grew up. And there's a whole bunch of Fairport because there was like that Fairport, community center. Yeah, Fairport Community Center had everyone played there. You know what I mean? Uh, so Donna War played there. What quick story about the community center? Yeah, Donna War played there one time, and I ate a shitload of mushrooms. <laughs> and uh, during our set, there was like a bunch of Rugrats cutouts on the like the TV, the Nickelodeon TV right. show Rugrats cutouts, and I was fucking bugging out playing our set looking at these guys jumping out of the wall but i i think that you didn't miss it i think it was just that because i was like you know what i mean i was going to like those metal hardcore shows because that's just where my friends were uh and that's like where my band at the time fit in so it's like i I knew about it but only because like i mean i almost looked at those bands like they were more like punk i guess you know Honestly, like there was like punk hardcore versus like metal hardcore to a degree. I think a band that we keep talking about, uh, Hatebreed, was kind of the band that really bridged the gap because, like you're saying, there was more like the metalcore scene or whatever you want to call it. Like, like we were talking about before, like no labels, but just for yeah, well, yeah, back take, then, I just, a, everything was like hardcore yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like you had like that, and then you had like more of like a traditional hardcore punk, and then you had a band like Hatebreed that could play on both bills that could also kind of. Yeah have a show like when i first got into it like dean you speaking of ska there wasn't a big enough scene so there would be like a show with like a ska band a punk band a hardcore band you know what i mean mm-hmm. and now there was uh fairport had a couple ska bands at uh like five finger something what the hell is that one band my sister loved them my sister's a little younger than me she loved ska too there's a band called five head maybe i don't know if that's the one that i don't there's a there's a lot of ska bands for a while though so i don't know yeah not, honestly yeah actually one of the first like quote unquote shows we ever played was actually at deacon's dad's house and it was with john turner's ska band that was called the swinging utters or something or no no no, that's the actual scott like that's like a a bigger punk ska oh. band. <laughs> well, what the hell was John's band called? Do you remember that i, I do remember ska he was band, in a ska band but kids. i don't remember the name of it yeah yeah I played home pharmacy. My first band played Deacon's dad's basement too. Yeah, it was probably this. <laughs> that was the time, man. It, it could have been the same show, dude. I mean, I don't think I knew you. Back then. <laughs> no, it was like I just knew Donna War. I didn't know anyone in it. Yeah. Uh, but that was back when Rochesterhead shows, like a local show, could be at Water Street, and there'd be five hundred fucking people there, and people would just get there at like two in the afternoon and stay there till two thirty or two in the morning, you know. Different times for sure. So you didn't, you know, you miss people. You couldn't know everybody. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this era, like you're kind of saying, for me, like I think of like 
the Penny Arcade a lot for like early 2000s and then even like mid 2000s. Yeah. And I think I think of the montage obviously kind of towards the more of the mid 2000s too. Uh, when we were prepping for this, or more when Paul, when you and I were chatting before we started this, you kind of mentioned other bands that you were doing that I, that I wasn't really familiar with. So let's kind of talk about that a little bit, like like Home Pharmacy. Like when do you remember like when that all started? Uh, I asked for a guitar for Christmas. Or actually, I asked for a bass for Christmas when I was like 14 or 15 years old. So my brother played guitar, and I'd pick it up, and I couldn't freaking figure out how to play it. And uh, I wasn't supposed to be touching it, so I wasn't like anyone was showing me either. So I was like, man, if I, the bass is only four strings, maybe I could learn that one a little faster, you know? So that was my ideology around, I want a bass. And my parents bought me a guitar anyways. So like a year later, this guitar, I just broke the strings and like didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And like just sat in my room collecting dust. And my one friend had a bass and he goes, yeah, I'll trade you a bass for a guitar. And I was like, well, that's what I wanted originally. So I guess why not? I was like 16 years old, brought the bass to my house. That night I went to a party. Uh, I always hung out with older kids back then when i was a kid like everyone was in like the early 20s like at these parties i'd go to and like my, i had like friends that were like 19 years old that would take me to these parties and uh like the division nine dudes and uh we're there and this dude mike's like yo you play bass someone told me you had a bass and i was like did i like literally just got it today and he goes well join my band i'll teach you how to play and i was like i, I don't know <laughs> like, i don't know man and within six months i had recorded with them. I played shows and luckily I picked it up quick. I mean, I was kind of playing for my, my spot, my spot in the band, you know what I mean? And we were a band for like 10 years. We were really weird. Like Mike and Jesse, uh, the two of the dudes who like started the band, they like loved acid and everything was and they'd go to like raves and shit too like just for like the drugs like it was like it was wild home pharmacy was i was just like having fun and drinking beers you know what i mean i had someone like i had a solid like beer hookup like and like you know these were my homies so it was fun playing shows you know backyard shows like lodge shows fucking penny arcade every once in a while i got i said to you josh that you used to be 17 and older only at the arcade so Mike would have to go in and get stamped and come out and roll his hand on mine to with the fresh stamp. And I'd just kind of hang out backstage all night so that, like, you know, I always had my bass on me and shit so I wouldn't get kicked out or we wouldn't get questioned and I, so I could play the show and I'd usually just leave. Uh, but I was in home pharmacy for 10 years. And, we, you know, we toured at the end. We, we became more of, like, a grind band, like sludge grind is what I call it. We... uh did a big tour. I was telling you with Psyopus and Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza was the biggest tour we ever did. It was like 50 shows, uh, you know, around the country. And then I was in, I don't even want to mention the next band I was in. It was like a joke, hardcore band. People can know about it if they want. It was, uh, hey, hold on one second though. I want to ask you. So I don't want to, I don't want to skip over you touring around the country and playing like 50 shows without really asking you a couple things about that first. Oh uh, yeah. You know, like, was that, I mean, I traveled around the country just like on a bus, like not in a band or anything. So, so, so what was it like at, at a younger age, like kind of doing something like that? And like, well, by the time that tour happened, I was like twenty-two, maybe. So, I, or I was I was twenty-one that year, I think twenty-one or twenty-two, something like that. I was like just able to buy my own booze. 
Uh, I actually took out a credit card for that tour so that I could drink every night. And I, $1,800 is, was what I racked up on that tour. And that's with like, there's lots of, you know, when you're in, in a band playing a show with like 200 plus people a night, there's a lot of free drinks. I still managed to spend $1,800 in that time, uh, on drinks, but a little bit of food, sure. Probably. Uh, but I mean, it was a blast. It was like, that tour was like crazy. Uh, so we had done, you know, a lot of weekend tours, like, you know, the year or two prior we were putting in work and that was why Chris, like we weren't anything big. No one like loved us, but me and Mike uh, had been friends with Chris Arp, the guitarist of Psyopus for a long time. And he was just like, saw us putting in work and was like, you know, you guys are on this tour. We're like, what? Okay. Like, you know, we got like 50 bucks a night, I think. And we would buy cases of SpaghettiOs and the van we had had a, a remote car starter that was like an aftermarket one put in it. And we'd set the fucking SpaghettiOs on the manifold and hit the remote car start twice. After like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, it, it cycles out and shuts off. You let it cycle twice and then your food is good enough to eat. Like, you know, you make money on merch back then. Like, so I just put like a big, people still own it and still wear it actually. Uh, I just put a nine millimeter on like a fucking shirt like this, you know, whatever, like the whole front of the shirt was a nine millimeter and home pharmacy above it. Like just cause I was like, this will make money on tour. And it did. We had to, uh, you know, call home and have HTB send us out some, some new merch orders and shit like that. You know, we made it just by the skin of our teeth. I think we came home with like 1200 bucks or something, maybe and that was cause we were just pinching pennies on food. And uh, and 1800 in credit card debt, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I came up with nothing but you know, life experiences. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I was gonna say. That sounds like a, that's, a, that's why I didn't want to skip over that. It sounds like a really good experience. And, and another, yeah, thing- it was awesome, man. It was like, I mean, I would, I, w- I would have kept doing it, but Mike got Mike's pregnant or Mike's had a kid already and a wife, and uh, it was like me, home pharmacy was me and him. And then we kind of like wrote all of our shit with a drum machine and then like had fill-ins. And then for that tour, John Cole, John the Brutal, he was the drummer for Psyops at the time. He did double duty, freaking played home pharmacy set. We took his drums off stage. Tony Danza played. And we put his drums back on stage for Psyops. And he played a freaking 40-minute Psyops set, which is like the drummer, you know, in Psyops, there's nothing to laughing that's like that's a workout and he was doing double duty playing with a drum machine for our band you know what i mean essentially learned what we wrote on a drum machine which was wasn't easy to play either that's another thing shout out to him that's another thing i was going to say that really hasn't come up in conversation on this uh, podcast too much is because that's kind of towards the end of the era where i was like booking a lot of shows like the early 2000s there was a lot of like techie metal hardcore type bands that got pretty yeah. big and were torn and doing a lot of stuff. And yeah, Psyopus was exactly. freaking huge at yeah. the time. Like they were, so we did 50 on that tour. We did 50 shows in 52 days. We had one day off in like Idaho or something. And it's actually where I, it's funny. It's where I learned or earned my nickname sloth. Uh, I would go to people's houses and they'd be like, make yourself home. And within, like, you know, I'd just, like, be walking out of my underwear and shit and, like, <laughs> fucking with their TV and, like, eating food out of their fridge. Like, uh, not because I was, like, 
you know, rude or whatever. It's just like on tour, you don't have anything. So someone's like being nice instead of being polite and saying, no, thanks. I'm all set. Like just took advantage. So we were like at this person's house, like for an entire day. He goes, yeah, I had to work, hang out, do whatever. And Adam from Cyopus is like, you're like a fucking three-toed sloth. You just sit there and do nothing like or whatever. And everyone laughed at it and I didn't like it. So obviously it stuck and became my fucking shitty nickname that I still have to this day. Some people still call me it, but uh, on that tour, like we were like in Hollywood shooting a fucking music video for Cyopus and shit. Like one of the days, that was the only other day off we had, which was like, it was like Hollywood production shit. It was wild, dude. Like they were really blowing up back then like uh they were torn like 200 days or more of the year too back then it was like that's all they did yeah that's what i was gonna say i always think about all these bands from rochester that are big like like that open doors like polar bear club such gold sirens but for some reason i never really thought about Cyopus, and they were one of the first bands that opened a lot of doors for a lot of these bands here to kind of tour and and play like this kind of like underground extreme music you know it really I did. Remember, like, oh, God. I was going to say, like, listening to Psyopus back then was, I had never heard anything like that before. Like, not a lot of people have. I, yeah, I, I don't think there was anything like that. I think there was, I mean, there's you know, obviously like, like Dillinger was wild and their, their live performance was insane and everything, yeah. but. When it comes to the technicality of music, I don't think anybody had pushed those boundaries, and I don't think anybody has since, really. That I, I mean, I, I don't dive too deep into it, but so yeah. kind of thinking about this era, uh, you, you now you guys both kind of had bands going at the same time. When did you guys kind of first start to get to know each other? Like, did you guys know each other like during the Dawn of War era? Like, like, or did you guys already, already kind of know each other before that? I think we just kind of knew each other. I mean, I, I knew who Dean was because through like home pharmacy shows, I met like Chris because Chris liked to drink too. But I think the reason I didn't know Dean much back then is because he was younger. So yeah. me and Chris are about the same age. So we're drinking at the bar. Dean's out, you know, the Penny Arcade parking lot, <laughs> slamming beers and slamming deuces or whatever. And, uh, not that we weren't out there sometimes too, but I think that's why I didn't yeah. know Dean super well, but I knew who he was for sure. Like I, you know, I had known cause I knew Dawn of War. I'd, I'd probably, I think home pharmacies played a, a few times with Dawn of War back then. It was just probably like we said, every show had 10 bands on it. It was easy yeah. to slip, slip through the cracks of each other. You show up right before you're set. And yeah. It's actually the next day. It's actually kind of funny. Cause like you grew up, you know, 10 minutes up the road went to Gananda. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had older friends around this town and I was hanging out with a lot of people that you were hanging out with five years prior. Yeah. And uh, we just never really crossed paths until I, f- I want to say probably the Penny Arcade. And I remember my first impressions. I thought you were a fucking asshole. <laughs> like, a lot of people love just, that. Yeah, probably a lot of people did. But a lot of people uh, were wrong. <laughs> nah, I, I mean, was back then. I don't know. Once, uh, once we got older and probably calmed down a little bit, you know. That's I remember we, when we first became friends officially in my head. Chris goes, "Yo, we got to go fight these dudes." Dean needs us too. And I was like, 
Uh, right. Yes. We drove around in my minivan so, looking for people. I showed up. Yes. Yeah, I showed up at Chris's house, and we were knocking on doors in Fairport for like yeah, a couple, like an hour or two. I, I forgot about out to that. Everyone out there I knew. I, f- and- I forgot about that. Trying to, then, trying to recruit muscle. I go, call yeah. Paul. Is that the whole story? Or, is that the whole story? Or? <laughs> we, never, we never found anybody. We never found the dude. I mean, we, we definitely struck the fear <laughs> into some dude's hearts uh, yeah. on some of the doors we knocked on. The but. dude ripped me off on some, on some mushrooms. Back then, I was doing a <laughs> lot of mushrooms. So. I didn't even ask. Honestly, I didn't know why we were yeah. there. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that my friends the were dude like, ripped me off. a fight. And then talked shit about my girlfriend and me and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, said, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. we're going to roll up on this motherfucker and kick the shit out of him. And, uh, yeah, we never found him. And I I don't think I ever heard from the kid ever ever again after that. So I, I should have realized we should have had a separate section of the interview for Mushrooms. I didn't realize there was going to be some. <laughs> mushrooms and Ska coming next episode. Yeah, yeah dude. <laughs> you can go deep into that if you want to go yeah, back to 2002. Like. Um, so kind of don't award. I feel like there was like a few different eras, really. There was the first one we there talked was, about, yeah. So, you know, and then there was high the school Donna War, yeah. Yep. And you got a little bit better with, with Deacon, and then and then uh, the sketchy, sketchy Dave era, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, so. let's really talk about that because that's uh, that's definitely my favorite era of Donna War. Like, there had been a demo you guys passed on to me before that that I liked, mm-hmm. but you guys recorded. I don't know if you ever actually released it, but there's like a, a full full length's worth of material. Yes. With uh, Deacon doing those fucking backups on that one song where he's like, your life is mine. Or whatever. Yo, yeah. He really yeah. carries it out for like two minutes or whatever. Yep, yep. He sounded like uh, his vocals on that recording reminded me a lot of like the original singer of Hunter Demons. Like he had that like gr- that growl in his voice. Yeah. You know? He had that tone. I remember but, uh, not liking it the first time I heard it, and then yeah. by like by like the fifth or sixth listen, it was like my favorite thing on the album. Yeah, yeah. Like that was like I was like, "What? That's kind of goofy." And then uh, I was like, "Man, I wish I thought of that shit. That's fucking dope." <laughs> yeah, like, I guess that was just like his grumbly ass, homeless tone back then. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he was on his feet by then. But yeah, like uh, same thing. I remember one night we played a show at water at the club site at water street and uh I, who the fuck was it it was a really good band it was uh man i wish i would have thought of this earlier <laughs> anyways we we picked to play this show at the club site at water street but there was a local show at the montage that night and uh we packed up at the so end of to do double water show. street yeah, we loaded up our gear and we shot over to the montage and we got there and the show, like the last band had just finished and there was like 40 kids outside and they helped us load our gear and we played a set. It was a ripper. And that was the <laughs> night that like sketchy Dave kind of just, he was at the water street show and then he came over to montage him and Chris hit it off. They went to a porn shop together or something. <laughs> and, uh, of course, <laughs> yeah so after that yeah he he joined the band and uh you know he was he was a tough guy to deal with back then i don't know how well you know dave he's a, a great little dude high, a little high strung he was very then. high strung back then uh probably still now but in a different way i guess too but. 
He's yeah. just stressed, stressed out. Like he was straight are. edge back then, but he drank like six monster energy drinks at band practice, and he would be like higher than us, you know, just revved yeah. out, fucking maniac. <laughs> but we wrote out. a lot of good music together, and uh... <laughs> dude, that that album was. Was awesome. Then you it guys was released a banger, what, six man. songs off of it, right? Is what you ended up releasing. Yeah, I th- we recorded ten songs. We so back in the Dawn of War days, we recorded everything at Watchman Studios with Doug White. And you know, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, and I think he would be a great dude to get on the. Podcast oh yeah, dude. because Doug, he's done it all back, with everyone. Man. Yeah, he's yeah. done it all, and he's a master engineer. He's he's the best. Um, Every time we're there, half the time is talking about his hardcore. Like we're basically having fucking circus grenade, amazing circus grenade rules. (laughs) But yeah, we recorded. Yeah, I've talked to Doug about uh, doing an episode in the future, so he's gonna be on here eventually. It's just a matter of rule. I would love to hear it eventually. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, though, Dean. Yeah, we recorded that. 10 songs in three days at Watchmen. And when I finished, yeah, when we had talked to Doug, he's like, what are you silly? Like you want to do 10 songs in three days, but we had prepped so hard for that. And this is kind of leading up to the end of, of the Dawn of War experience. Like we spent so much time practicing we actually had a uh, Colin Ramirez from he played drums in Borrowed Time and probably a hundred other bands. It's a master, but he basically produced that album for us. And he spent probably four months, you know, a couple nights a week rehearsing and rewriting and, and doing that with us at the practice space. And uh, we went into the studio and banged it out and it was, it was pretty good. You know, I, I like a lot of those songs and, you know, anything Doug touches is coming out sounding immaculate, you know, when it comes to hardcore or basically anything else for that. Matter. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know any of those stuff. <laughs> I only listen yeah. to hardcore stuff that comes out of it. Yeah. I mean, he's got a platinum record for the gym class heroes. Like, Oh yeah. 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 I've heard that. But anyways, uh, <coughs> yeah. Right after we did that, we kind of lost all momentum. We lost all steam. We burnt ourselves out. And, uh, you know, we were all getting older and there was a lot going on in everybody's lives. And at that point, you know, we were going on nine, 10 years. And we just kind of fizzled out at that point. I mean, we had a practice space at Cosmic Jams at the warehouse for, shit, seven, eight years. And, we weren't paying rent. We weren't practicing. Vince wouldn't kick us out because for some reason he liked us. I still don't know why. But uh, after like four months of not paying rent, he called us and he said, you guys got to get your shit and get out of here. <laughs> so that was kind of the end of Dawn of War right after we put out that that 10 song. And four years of uh, last shows. Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we carried it on for. We dragged it out. Before, uh, before I ask you your favorite memories of Donna Warren, before we kind of bridge the gap with Paul, 
and you with for the weight we carry, you mentioned that practice space. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, my favorite memory from that practice space. Uh, and, and, and actually, uh, you were talking about Syopas. Chris Arp was practicing his guitar in there before a couple times. So you and I, I don't know if, I don't know also if Labatz and I talked about this on his episode, but, but you, oh yeah, you, you me, Labatz, and Dave Green, uh, again, I referenced traveling cross country in 2006. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was, we were, I don't know if there was a party we were throwing. I don't know what the situation was, but right when I was getting ready to leave, we all talked about doing a cover band with all those dudes I just mentioned. Yeah. And you and I, and, and those other dudes, we practiced like what, like at least three or four times. And we had like seven yep. or eight covers that we, we ran through. Yeah. You remember any of those covers offhand or? Man, I remember. So you're going back, you moved, you went out, you, what'd you end up? You lived in Colorado or yeah. something? Yeah, it was 2006. So I wasn't there for that long, just a few months, but I traveled around the country. Set it off. Right, right. Yeah, we we put a list together, and I remember it was the first time I had ever heard Floor Punch. <laughs> like, that, that's how young I was at the yeah. time. I mean, I think I, I might I, I might have been 18. Uh, yeah, we were going to cover Floor Punch, Mad Ball, Beastie Boys, Oh, I forgot Snickers. About boys. Yeah, I yeah. Fight for your right, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Snickers. Yeah. My Scarhead. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't remember. Cro- I those Cro-Mags. There was a Cro-Mags song too. There was I didn't, a Cro-Mags I, Yeah, Survival of Streets. I didn't remember those ones that you just mentioned though. The the Scarhead and. Yeah, and, uh, those were songs that I like. I learned how to play, and we had worked yeah. out and rehearsed, and it was so much fun. Like, yeah. So even like before, I mean, I'll bring up Borrowed Time over and over again, but before Borrowed Time became a band, me and Deacon tried starting a band with Aiden and Jim. And we wrote like one song and it was super killer. But like I was, I was like 16, you know, going back to the topic of the podcast. I was in my fucking mushroom days. <laughs> <laughs> I just wasn't even that good at drums. <laughs> like and I couldn't I couldn't keep up with these guys. They were just better musicians, you know. They're much older and uh we were still doing the Dawn of War thing and trying to have two bands was too much, you know, at that reckless point in my life at a young age and uh you know that's kind of how I met Labatt's. And then when we got to do that cover band, it was like, it was just so much fun. Those couple rehearsed, you know, we, we practiced, like you said, three or four times. It was a blast. I, what happened with that? We tried to do, we were going to do a show. It was like, you're going away show. And then it just like, we showed think, up at the venue and it was can't like, I think there was, I didn't have it on show. the books. I think there was a real show booked and we were just, we just jumped on. Yeah. And the show itself ended up, of course, the show got canceled. And then we were going to try and throw just us playing like somewhere, but everybody was like, nah, we're not, we, we can't find a place to do it type thing. But yeah, those songs, it would have been fun. Me and Labatt's to this day still talk about that, how much fun it would have been to do that shit, man. So, Is Jim uh, still in the Rochester area or what? Uh, he's uh, he's in Arizona. He's been out there for uh, a minute. Well, sh- yeah, shit, you know. man. We should go out to Arizona and do it. <laughs> yeah, sure. why not? He's uh, <laughs> He's, he's, he told me he wants to get a bass and, and start writing some stuff after he... Him and I had a that dude was killer, that. man. 
that original borrowed time lineup was like the, my idols at that time in my life. You know, they were they were killer. I mentioned before that that was like Dawn of War and Borrowed Time. Like that era was definitely one of my favorite eras for Rochester hardcore. And and honestly, yeah, mine too. We, until we started doing this interview tonight, Dean, I never really realized that you were a few years younger than those guys. Like like I always knew. Yeah. <laughs> I always knew Chris and them were like, 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 probably about like your age. I'm guessing Paul, like, like '83, born in. Like yeah, around there. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I'm only where, a couple years. I was born. I'm only a couple years older than you guys, but I always thought Dean was about the same age too. I never realized that. I was '87, man. Yeah, he's hanging out, drinking beers with us all the time. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> doing mushrooms at 15 <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so, so Paul, before we get into uh, the weight we carry. Uh, do you have any other noteworthy bands that you'd want to uh, talk about between Home Pharmacy and, and The Weight We Carry, I guess? Yeah, after Home Pharmacy, I did like a joke band called Dare. Uh, it was like the anal cunt of hardcore metal. We actually played with anal cunt once. It was pretty cool. Uh, it was an insane show. But uh, then I was in Japanese Combat Car. It was like a metalcore, like hardcore uh, band, mid-2000s. And then I was in Neon King Kong after that, which was my rap group. Uh, me and me and Tugboat, Anthony Hayward. You know, we did that for I think a couple of years, and we mostly just all we do is hardcore. So all we did is play other, you know, hardcore shows with our friends' bands and stuff. Like Tough Times was a band that was like pretty ripping at the time. We, we you know we played with them. And we we'd play with like touring bands. Like we'd come through and and we'd like uh, they'd have us play after a lot because like. It was just a party, you know, when, when we rapped or whatever. Now, that Neon King Kong, though, man. I think you guys opened up for that. The time that we played, Donna War played with Scarhead. And uh, it was at Dublin Underground. I think Neon King Kong and the Verbal Surgeon opened up the show. And then Danny Diablo's crew of, uh, I think, the Ill Rock Soldiers or something performed. And it was, like, the worst shit I had ever heard. But <laughs> Scarhead was dope because uh, Eddie Leeway was doing vocals instead of Puerto Rican Mike. And it was it was pretty cool seeing Eddie Leeway do vocals with Scarhead, you know. I would have rather saw him with Puerto Rican Mike. but Yeah, speaking of uh, people being sick, hopefully Eddie Leeway gets, gets – uh as well man you know oh yeah yeah for sure uh neon king kong i feel like there was a big elixir show that you guys played too or i might i might be thinking of another another show too but i feel like there was a show with like sirens and uh sakes alive would you guys have been on something like that do you recall something like that too oh yeah that's like a it's like a hard thing that was it's kind of wild i mean i don't know if it's rockstar hardcore history necessarily but that show was like a friday and i I was like, uh, yo, I should do a giant, like, once-in-a-lifetime show with Sirens and Sailors, who was touring at the time. Such gold, who was touring at the time. I called them on a Friday and was like, yo, you guys want to do this show next Friday? And they're like, yeah. There was never a flyer for it or anything. I just posted, I wrote in my notes on my phone what was happening and when and screenshotted it and posted it, and that was the flyer. And it was like insane. That's that's the show that I'm talking about, though, right? Is that show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That show was. I mean, obviously, it was packed. It wasn't like a venue elixir for anyone who's never been there to a show. It was like it was like a, at a bar, sixty or eighty person max. I want to say. Yeah, and I think like 180 people showed up. It was like yeah. the sidewalks 
were yeah. you had you had to get in a line to stand on the sidewalk outside the building. Like it was insane. <laughs> yeah, we only had it had that place filled up once or twice, but that was probably the most filled I've ever seen it. And I remember uh I don't know what was it called, like the Insider magazine or some bullshit like that they had in Rochester and yeah. I was fucking hammered that night. Like that might have been one of the nights where I was drinking pitchers of beer like right out of the pitcher, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Myself, my friend Brian Rao, and that girl Morgan, like we got in a picture. We got in an actual picture that, that ended up in the Insider with like me. Like you can tell in the picture that I'm like fucking hammered. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's and there's more pictures from that show in that like. I still had the issue because I think it's really funny. That yeah, that, that was uh, like a hot button. Like, you know, everybody wanted to get their hands on that thing when it came out because everybody in Rochester that went to shows was there, you know, because it literally, you know, like pop punk, like metalcore, and then like Navigator was like a little bit of both of those, you know, on the lighter side. But it was dudes like, you know, Zach from Renoff was the singer, the Diaz brothers from another one down. Uh, and Dave Long too, another one down. Uh, uh, Dave Larson played drums, you know, from uh, Tough Times. And then uh, was it Sarek, Bar- right? And then obviously he's in Borrowed Time now. Uh, so it sort of just t- like that show was like everybody has been going to shows forever. Was friends with like, it was like that was like a special show that like dude, it was just a special time in rochester when yeah when elixir yeah speaking of elixir like i w- i want to ask you josh which i just thought about did you bring that band black breath to elixir well did you book that show i don't think that's ever come up on this before that that's actually a funny story you guys played that that was for my 30th yeah. birthday which obviously yeah. 40th birthday just passed recently so that would have been 10 years ago yeah, that was an amazing time. Yeah. Sketchy and I booked that show. I don't know if Pale Horse showed up, but they were supposed to play that night. They Pale Horse didn't show up, and Black Breath showed up late because their fucking yeah. shitty-ass Winnebago or whatever had broken down, and it was, like, smoking when they pulled up. Either Rory and they stunk or... like shit. Like, they lived <laughs> up to the name Black Breath. Like, these dudes had been living in a Winnebago. <laughs> Either Rory, either Rory or Ben, <laughs> Rory or Ben from from uh, Like Wolves got a hold of us that day, and was like, I think they're they were having a because you said they were having a van issue. I think they were supposed to play in Buffalo, yeah. but their van had broken down. So Ben was like, Can we both jump on the show and Like Wolves will play, and then they'll play after us if they get there in time. And I think that's what ended up happening. You guys played too, and there probably was one or two other bands maybe i mean this is 2011 yeah i think there was like three or four bands that played and uh i'll never forget meeting those dudes in black breath though because when they played like they showed up broken down and and beat up you know and they came up on that shitty little state it wasn't even a stage at elixir it was like basically you're playing on the floor if you and had a rack blew. drum set, it took up the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, they they fucking blew my mind. I bought their that uh whatever the name of that album was, Last Breath or something. And goddamn, I still have that. I I got it in my toolbox at work 
And if there's a, like a computer I'm sitting on or something, I pop it in, get my fix of the 10 songs of Black Breath. Like that was an amazing show. That band fucking rules. And thank you for putting that show on because those elixir times were nuts, man. They were just yeah. so much fun. Yeah, I was there like four days a week anyways. So whenever like I had a chance to book a show there or went to a show. Yeah, that was just like one of those happy accidents though where like I said, I didn't we didn't even have them plan for the show. It just kinda of worked out that way. So um but let's kinda of try to jump into uh the weight we carry now. So before we start talking about the weight we carry, uh Paul, you and I are part of uh, an exclusive club in hardcore that uh not I know a few people that are part of this club, but not a lot of people. I'd, I'd say it's a pretty small percentage. Um, I've told my story a couple of times on this podcast about how I got my front tooth knocked out. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> what happened with you? You were at a show. I'm taking, obviously you're in the pit and you, and you lost yours or. Yeah. So twice I've had my front teeth knocked out. Uh, once was, you know, the one next to my two front teeth and once was my, one of my main front teeth. Uh, it was a uh, kid dancing for borrowed times, kid Jake. It was on accident. Uh, I was like, I don't, it was a borrowed time show at the Penny Arcade. I went to go sing along, but I wasn't up front yet. I was like, you know, in the back of the pit or whatever. And I like started charging up to the front of the stage, like start screaming in the mic. And I just was like tunnel vision looking ahead. And he was going sideways, swinging back and just, like I call it like the wrist knuckle, that little bone on your wrist just popped my tooth in half, dude. Like it was nothing like it. it so I it left half of it there. So I was able to get the crown like uh, put over like what was left of it. Uh, but that was how I got my tooth knocked out. I didn't have, I, I didn't have insurance. We did a show at the Penny Arcade, like a benefit. I made like 1100 bucks, uh, which is awesome. And, uh, but it wasn't nearly enough to get a fake tooth. Um, six years later, I finally got the fake tooth. I just did it with my tax money. That money, that $1,100 went to, it sat in a safe at my friend's house, uh, for about two years, my friend, Kevin, and he was moving to Vermont and I owed him money on cell phone bill. He goes, how about I just take this money? And then I, everyone thinks I blew that money on like beer and, and Coke probably, but I didn't, it just sat in a safe for like literally two years. And then I paid out of pocket four years later and I got my taxes back $2,400, $2,600 would it cost a Q dental. Yeah. What, what's interesting is, is I actually, my tooth was knocked also out during uh, an Aiden band, the, the band they ran before that something sacred. It was their first show. And yeah, we, we, I, we were talking about it earlier and we thought it was borrowed time too. <laughs> then I forgot to, to yeah. bring it up to you. <laughs> That's yeah, the time. Yeah. yeah, it was their first show. It was in a base. I've told the story a few times, but the short version, it was in a basement and uh, Jim Callahan, a uh, really good dude, local dude, drummer, uh, moment of truth, uh, good sound yeah. engineer. Um, nice guy. So of course it's always the nicest guy that does it. You know, he uh, just happened to be putting his elbow out to mosh for the mosh part in the killing time cover. And uh, I wasn't, I wasn't looking right there and uh, he got me in the tooth. So, how um, was yours? Did it pop in half, or did you? It kind of popped. Did you have to? You had to like had enough to get the crown put over it. 
it kind of popped in half like yours, but they ended up having to like saw it down and put the whole thing on. I still need to get a root canal. I never have gotten it or whatever. Uh, I'll do that. That was why mine cost so much. I had to get the root canal, uh, you know, and the fake tooth put on. Um, And the other time I lost my tooth was uh, I got beat up at a bar. So (laughs) it wasn't at a hardcore show. Some dude was hitting a, it was like last year. Like, that was like that was the beginning of my. It was 13 days into 2020. I was at a bar and this dude was hitting a woman, like beating the shit out of her. So I started beating on him, and then uh, to get him off of her, and having like four of his homies or whatever just beat me up instead, <laughs> including that girl. The girl getting hit got up off the ground eventually and started like jumping on me too. Jeez, that's crazy. Nice, nice guy finished last, you know. Yeah. All right, so. Now, you know, the, the the paths come together, I guess, with you guys, uh, with the weight we carry. But initially, Paul, you weren't singing. So I guess kind of take me back to the formation of the band, I guess. So the beginning of the weight we carry is actually uh, intertwined with Home Pharmacy, my first band, and like knowing Dean's a drummer because of Dawn of War and being homies with them. And uh and Psyopus, actually. So Psyopus decided to take a year off or something at some point. They were touring a lot. They had like a whole bunch of member changes, whatever. And then a year went by. They put a, Chris put a band together and was going to play their first comeback show at Montage. And uh, Chris was like, I want Home Pharmacy, who hadn't played in over five years, to, to be on the show. I want you guys to do like a reunion show for me. Uh, so me and Mike had never even talked about a reunion show. We never had a last show. So we're like, yeah, let's like just do it, you know, and have some fun. But we didn't want to like do a drum machine. We didn't want to do just us. So we got uh, the Diaz brothers are like my, you know, some of my best friends. We hung out like almost every day back then and they played guitar and bass. And I was like, I don't have the chops in home pharmacy. I played bass and sang and screamed or whatever. And I was like, I don't really play an instrument much anymore, so I don't really have the chops. So I learned all the home pharmacy songs, taught them to Corey and Casey. Corey played guitar, Casey played bass, and Mike played second guitar, the original home pharmacy guy. So we needed a drummer that was good enough. And I called Dean. I was like, yo, dude, you're good at drums, right? He's like, no, because Dean's like super humble and always thinks he's bad as shit, but he, he is really good at drums. And uh, I was like, yeah, I want you to play his home pharmacy reunion show. Like it's me and the Diaz brothers and uh, who he didn't really know that well, but he knew, you know, he knew him enough. And then I'm going to sing. And then my friend Mike's, you know, original Mike playing guitar. And he's like, he's like, I guess I'll try, dude. He's like, I don't really play that style of drums. Like he never did a blast beat before or anything. So we showed up. Uh, I think we did like a full band practice, like the first fucking practice. Yeah. Which is probably intimidating because then you get like four dudes staring at you and you're like, gotta like, you just listen to this like blasting shit and you're like, I don't know how to yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you gave me the demo of a drum machine and I was like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. Uh, I got to, f- I kind of wrote my own shit for that. Yeah. And- I mean, and you made it work though. Like it sounded really good, but he also knew how to freaking blast. Like, kind of figured goes, it out. Yeah. He goes, I never did a blast beat. Like, what if I just do this? And he just like, he's like, like just doing a blast beat. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a blast beat, dude. Like, what do you, that, that's it. He's like, Oh, okay, cool. We're good then. <laughs> I'm good for 10 seconds. Ah, uh, 
that I feel like we pulled that off by the skin of our teeth. Like we didn't really practice that much. So those songs are pretty difficult to play, but we played a really good set and we had like a lot of fun together. Uh, Mike is in another band called mood pill. Uh, they're like a rock band with a, with a girl singing. They're pretty good. Uh, so he like, you know, he plays bass now mostly. He didn't really have a lot of guitar equipment. He, he played guitar for the, you know, for the show. But afterwards, me, Dean, Casey, and Corey were like, fuck, that was fun, man. We should do that more. And then uh, Nick sang in At Your Worst. Uh, they had two singers, the Rasha Hardcore Band, and they had broken up not, not too far before that. Like at a, And he hung out, Nick, Corey Diaz, and Casey Diaz, and me hung out three or four days a week anyways. Like we were already hanging out. And we just had fun with Dean, you know, doing jamming with the home pharmacy thing. So we're like, the five of us hang out anyways. Why don't we just fucking do a band? Dean's like, yeah, I'm down. He's like, I don't know about this Nick kid. I never met him before. I was like, he's good. Don't worry about it. He's fucking good. So I went over Dean's house with a guitar and a few songs I wrote really quickly. Uh, and we, we freaking, they were good. You know, Dean freaking ripped on drums and... They were just like simple hardcore songs that actually is uh, downcast or no, it was uh, working class ended up being working class. And I, and there's another song called hail to the chief, which is recorded, but we actually never ended up releasing it. But those are the first two songs, simple hardcore songs. And then uh, Nick came over with some lyrics. We were, I recorded a little bit then on an eight track player that Dean had in his, in his room, gave it to Nick. Nick wrote some lyrics for the song working class. And then, and the next time I got up with Dean, like a week or two later or whatever, Nick came with me. And that was the first time I think, Dean, you ever met Nick, right? Yeah, it was. It was the first time I met Nick. And uh, it was pretty rad because at the time I was living, <clears throat> me and my buddies were renting a house and we had this room set up. I had like two drum sets three full cabs, like a refrigerator cab, all the Dawn of War shit. I had a full PA system. We had a house in this, or a room in this house dedicated. It was a practice space, basically, and recording Enough. studio. We had an eight-track recorder, digital recorder, soundboard, little mixing board, and... Uh, but no one had a band in the house. Yeah, yeah. We were just fucking degenerate musicians. I lived with a junkie at the time. We were we were all fucked up. We were just doing crazy shit, playing music at 4 a.m. Doing mushrooms and, uh, then, too? No, that was kind of, you know, I had gotten a little older at that time. So probably here and there, but a lot of other drugs going on. But, like wow. I said. My my friend that I rented that house with, he passed away in uh and, you know, he's one of my best friends. I you know, I lived with him for years. We grew up together. You know, that's the tough part about our generation is this new battle of uh you know, opioid addiction and shit. I watched it happen and lost my friend. You know, but at the time we were having a lot of fun and we had this fucking, this space. And yeah, I remember when Nick came over, it was like, dude, the most polite, 
kid I've ever met in my life. When he started singing, like the first line, <laughs> I stopped playing drums because I couldn't believe what was coming out of him. Like it was, it blew my mind. Like, what? What is this? And next got a pretty big voice. Yeah, it was huge. You know, blown away. Basically, like the the three of us jammed that day, uh, and like Nick just put the vocals down on that song. Like you know, we got it tight. It's just guitar, drums, and Nick singing. And from that point, I think we recorded it that day. Yeah, we might have freaking recorded that. We did. Yeah, we nailed it out. And uh, that day. Because we, you know, we were loosely talking about just doing a band. We didn't have a name. Like, we were like, yeah, let's do it. And, like, you know, a month went by, whatever. And then we finally, that day is when we're like, yeah, we got something, I think. Yep. When do you guys record with uh, Doug White for this band, too, then? At Watchmen? Or for the, the, for first, the first? We did. Yeah. Three. First three times we recorded was with Doug. Uh, we recorded these three a, a three song that we never released anything out of it because uh, I don't know it's like fast forwarding a little bit but well, yeah so we released it very right and then or we were about to release it and then it was a little EP or something and then uh, is when Nick left the band so this is like three years later or so. So we, that's yeah. why we that's why we ended up not releasing it. But I'm jumping prior, ahead a little too far. Yeah, yeah. Prior to that, yeah. we. We basically nailed down six songs. Yeah. How did it start? It was like the it was 2011 or so. Yeah, like and late 2011. It's about we to all, be uh, football we all, season. Yeah, we were all Buffalo Bills fans and decided like Sundays we're going to have band practice, beers, and, and the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be the, the triple Bs, you know? It was awesome. It was like the so funnest. like every Sunday we would just watch a Bills game, get hammered, and then just go in and rip band practice at four p.m. when after the one o'clock game, you know. Yeah. Whether they won or lost was how good the they lost a lot back. Then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we managed we managed to to get six decent songs, uh, and and at this time in two thousand eleven, roster. Uh, I'm pretty sure we were like the only hardcore band that existed locally. Uh, everyone was on that pop punk train. Like every the first like three or four shows we played, every band was pop punk, and it was like you know local shows, whatever. Uh, but then things started. I mean, like there was metal. You know, like Simon Sailors existed. There was like there was like metalcore stuff happening and stuff. But it was a weird time in Rochester. It was like. Everyone stopped going to shows. Everyone stopped being in bands in like 2000, like nine, 2010. Everything sort of like came to a halt. And then like 2011 came and we decided to start this band and everyone's like yeah. hardcore band. What? <laughs> I mean, you mentioned that like it's around the time like Borrowed Time broke up. Yeah. Dawn of War fucking stopped playing shows. Uh, I don't know what else was going on at the time but like jared johnson had a band i think it was called was. Black, black houses and we were gonna play a show with them or no, i think we did play a show with them they were a hardcore band too but then he moved to like california and then it was yeah. like the last hardcore band left and then us. yeah the scene was really weird at the time I, rochester's always been a weird scene of yeah. like 
it's like a wave. It's always like, you know, it has good times that are like, oh, the greatest. I can't believe like who he had it so good and didn't realize yeah. it. And then and then it just sucks and it gets slow. But we built it, also, it like we kind of helped build up, build it back up. Like honestly, like uh, I'm not trying to give us credit. We didn't work hard at it or try to do that. Just you know, we had a hardcore band, Fork Tongues. Oh, Fork Tongues was around. They were still playing shows, uh, but they were sort of at the tail end of their band. Uh, we played some shows with them that like those dudes rule sketchy Dave band, you know, full circle. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking Joel of full circle, drunk. speaking of full circle, you mentioned one of the first songs you guys wrote that day. So you put that out. That was the first thing you guys officially put out the seven inch with Jeff on full circle attack. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's really doing much with the label now, but it was cool seeing him do stuff like that. And, and obviously, you know, uh, helping carry the flag for Rochester. Yeah. Um, what if if you don't mind my asking? I guess what kind of transpired to kind of make the lineup shift then to kind of switch over uh, to you on vocals? Well, uh, we did that. We did the seven inch with with Jeff, and things were going pretty good. You know, we're starting to get out of town a little bit here and there. Not nowhere too far, like PA and uh, like you know Utica and you know, Syracuse and like, you know, no, no, nothing crazy. But like I said, hardcore was kind of weird at the time. There wasn't a ton going on. Uh, and then Nick was like, you know, settling down. He's about to get married. And uh, the kid still loves hardcore. Like he'll still come to shows and freaking, you know, dance on kids and sing along and like, but he's busy. You know, now he's got two kids. He's out of, he, he works out of town all the time. He was just, he saw it coming. You know what I mean? And, uh, it's not like he didn't want to be in the band with his best friends anymore. It's just like he was busy and it just wasn't working out. He didn't want to put us on hold. And we had just started writing for a new album. And uh, we just recorded the three song. You know, there were some old songs and one new song. And he was like, I got to step away, man. And we were all fine. You know, no one was like mad at him or anything. And uh, Corey is like a, like a really well-trained guitarist. Like he's like really, really good at guitar. So playing like my shitty hardcore riffs, is like boring as a guitar standpoint for him. Cause he's like a technical metal kind of guy. So I don't think he ever like loved playing it, but he loved the music. So when Nick decided he was going to step away, Corey's like, you know, we're like, do we want to still do, be a band? What do we want to do? And everyone was like, yeah, we're still down. But Corey's like, I don't really want to play guitar anymore. I, I want to sing. I don't want to, like, try out new singers. And we're like, yeah, it keeps the band, like, just us still. So that's, you know, that's cool. Uh, so Corey did, uh, we did two albums with Corey. The uh, Hard Harsh Truth album. And then we did uh, Hard to Exist. And uh, that was, like, two or three years right there. Like Corey is, uh, and then Corey is kind of the same path as Nick. Uh, his career got good, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we wanted to keep going. Like we do this, you know, we don't tour a lot. We don't do anything crazy. Like we played, you know, we played a really good amount of awesome shows. Like every time we play a show, I, you know, it's all it's the best like we've we've never really had any flops as a band we've been together almost 10 years now about 10 years this year and uh so when Corey had to walk away uh i was writing a lot of the lyrics for us anyways 
and I had just written almost another EP and I was like with lyrics too. So once again, I, we were like, Hey, uh, with Corey, Lee, with Corey walking, you know, stepping back from the van, does everyone want to keep being in the band? And Casey's like, yeah. And Dean's like, yeah. And, uh, our friend Ralph had just joined on second guitar. He was like, yeah, definitely dude. Like, and I was like, well, how about I just do vocals and sort of keep it us still, you know, no like really new members. You know, Ralph was a new member, but he was a homie for a long time. Uh, he was in the band sideline. Those dudes fucking ruled, uh, we just written yeah, this we, awesome new we album. So had the practice space with him too. Like, yeah, he was the practice space with Ralph. Yeah, I mean, outside looking in, Ralph's like a new person, known as who it is, but yeah. he was there like for all of it. You know what I mean? And so it almost felt like bringing in like uh, someone who was already there, anyways. And that's kind of how the band has always been. It's like people who are already like with us. Every new member, just Ralph and Nate, are the only new ones that have ever come from outside, but when Corey took over he was the guitarist when I took over I was the guitarist on vocals you know and that's just that's how it is from now on you know like I just I never really wanted to be a vocalist but I was writing the lyrics and uh didn't want to like write lyrics for someone else you know what I mean I felt I could do it and uh I don't know the last two albums we put out I think are pretty good people seem to dig them pretty pretty good and really happy with the music like volume one I'm, I'm happy with everything we've ever put out but we've gone in like uh kind of like how dawn of war had it's like phases uh the weight we carry has definitely had like the we didn't know what we wanted to be uh i was sort of writing on the first six songs on guitar i was sort of writing like for nick who who liked nick and casey really liked like the banner uh me and dean really liked like Madball, like uh and then Corey liked like kind of more like technical metal. Uh, so I was kind of trying to ha find like a happy medium in there, you know, so there's a lot of like fast picking and stuff. And then when Nick left the band, I, I sort of like, I think I was listening to hold it down like every single yeah. day. <laughs> and at I was that just like, time... like you say, uh, freaking <laughs> yeah. the first Hatebreed albums, the best drumming yeah. ever. I'm like, hold it down, dude. Riggs fucking kills yeah. it, dude. Like, that's that's my favorite drumming, like that. Yeah. Boom, bop, bop. Like, that was freaking that groove is so good. It took me a few years, but yeah, that's that's where I kind of gravitated to uh, in my personal style. But when yeah, we sort of grew there. Together. When you mentioned that time period, though, I just remember I was working out in Gates at the time, oh, driving yeah. from the east side of Rochester the west side of rochester for work every day and you I was know, doing the same thing our practice space yeah. and we were literally spending like three four days a week just me and paul a couple hours a day after work you know just having a couple beers fucking writing just this is when Corey was on vocals and i was i was yeah. just the only guitarist in the band at the we time put a lot of time in back then yeah, that was the uh, Harsh Truth album. That was eight song. I guess it's our closest to a full length. You know, debatable if eight songs a full length or an EP. But I got a couple. We'll call, it a, we'll call it our full length. I got a couple <laughs> questions about Jared and Sore Teeth, obviously. But first, I want to ask you. You were sore talking ear. about or sort. I'm thinking of the band Sore Teeth. Sore ear. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. Um, Jared's gonna love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you edit that right out. Yeah. 
No, I'll, I'll leave that in. That's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, you were talking about lyrics, though, and writing them before you switched over to vocals. So, like, did you have influences and, like, shit you wanted to get off your chest to write for lyrics before you became a singer? Or was it just more kind of like when you have these songs and we need to write lyrics or, like, a combination of both? Yeah. Uh, so, like, Nick and me were, uh, you know, I got, like, class war tattooed across my chest, like, 12, 13 years ago. Like, you know, I'm, like about that shit i still like i'm very passionate about that to this day uh like and nick was you know on board with that stuff too so we sort of just like that was like you know he he wrote 80 percent of the lyrics for the first six song you know like i helped a little bit on like hey i don't have a trouble with this one little spot like i didn't you know there's a lot of him uh with me helping. And then uh, when Corey first took over, he wrote the lyrics for a few songs and he even wrote some guitar and, and you know, he wrote like whole songs too. Like, uh, but then like, as he got stuck, I, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, well, he's the lyrics. So like, he's the only one allowed to write lyrics. Like anyone could have, you know, if Dean wrote a song, like, you know, and it was good, we would have, we would have ripped that too. You know, it's just, I never wrote I, any good lyrics in my life. I, I had, uh, I did have stuff that I just, wanted to talk about stuff I was pissed off about. Uh, I don't know. Like I'd write, I, you know, the way I write is I, I, ri I write riffs at my house and I, I kind of come with a whole song to band practice. And, and I, and by that point I already have lyrics kind of bounced around in my head for it. And then by the time everyone else learns the, the song or, or, you know, everyone else's input is in and the song is like finalized, you know, which, you know, usually takes us a little bit longer than like, it might take us a couple months sometimes, you know, who knows? Like, you know, sometimes it happens fast. Sometimes it takes a while. By that point though, once, I, once we're figured out and we're, we're, we're finalized on that song, I almost always already have lyrics like written because my head just doesn't, it doesn't stop turning until it's done. Like it needs to be completed for some reason in my head in order for me to, go to the next song and like the and and then that mixed with like having shit i want to say you know having shit i'm pissed off about which is like you know luckily i don't have like girl problems and stuff so all our stuff is is generally about like politics or like the you know the way the world works and like the you know the the class you're born into like almost everything is related to that i just uh i've had to sort of like you know, make it less obvious as the band got, you know, kept writing because I can't just write the same song over and over again. I mean, I guess I could, but I don't think people would like that very much. So, yeah, we were talking about Jared a little bit, and I had talked on the Chris Pogue episode that I definitely want to get him on a future episode of this podcast yeah. to, to talk about his label and, and just a lot of the cool shit that he's done. Um, he knows a lot, too, like that's one thing that's like, there's different kinds of hardcore people. Me and Dean are like, uh, you know, I don't speak for Dean completely, but we go to shows. We like, he's like, I love that black breath. Cause he saw him, you know, like that's kind of like a lot. I don't have this huge depth of knowledge on like every hardcore band that's ever existed and stuff. And uh, I'm like, I was just at a lot of shows. Cause that's what I like to do. I like to go to shows. I like to freaking, you know, listen to heavy music. And generally, most of the bands I like, it's because I saw them. And I happened to catch that set or band I already liked was playing with them, whatever. So I checked them out. And like, uh, Jared's one of those kids who, like, just knows 
every band somehow like i don't even understand like he knows it all and he has a good ear for like what's coming up uh so he would be great to have on the show for sure man that's why that's why when he when he was like talking about working with us uh i jumped right on it i was fucking i was ecstatic to work with jared that's actually what i wanted to ask next too is how did that all come together like he came to you guys and said he wanted to do something with you guys um so Corey had left the band and, uh, you know, because it was never like a big deal. It wasn't like, fuck him, you know, we're moving on anyway. It's like, we didn't make posts about it. It was just kind of like, we just kept moving, you know, like that's just, when Nick left the band, we happened to have like almost the EP written because me and Dean were, were writing a lot together, just the two of us. So Corey just stepped right in. And then uh, I had written six songs. Volume one was, was pretty much written. We just hadn't finalized it yet as a band. Like the, the, the skeleton was there, you know? And, uh, and that's when Corey stepped away. So like we just kept moving and I just took over on vocals and like we had this thing and, uh, that summer it was like, everyone had a freaking wedding every other weekend or some crap like that. Like we couldn't play a lot of shows either. So I, I only done like two or three shows before we recorded that EP. And, me and Jared, uh, he did the Rochester Invasion. Or uh, what was it called? He did that big Rochester show. At, it's Fine Squirrel. Not Destroy Rochester. Yeah, Destroy Rochester. Yeah. I don't know. I, Rochester Invasion is like a thing Sage did in Canada, I think, a long time ago. Uh, at that show, he was like, yo, uh, didn't you say, didn't you tell me you had like an EP or something recorded? I was like, yeah, we're thinking about like putting it out sometime soon. I don't know how. Uh, he's like, you know, maybe we could work together or whatever on that, you know, through my label. And I was like, dude, that'd, that'd be cool. And then uh, after the set, he was like, yo, I'm definitely putting your new shit out. Like, he's like, that's the best stuff, in my opinion, you guys have ever done. He's like, the new songs fucking rule. I, I love them. And then uh, we did that tape and, you know, it came out awesome and did a release show with the bug jar for it, like with, with Sawyer, it was like, you know, brought to you by Sawyer. He helped out a lot with that show and put a lot of stuff together. And I don't know, like working with Jared, just it's, it's like, it's so much just like the band. Like we are just, uh, we're, we're hanging out anyways. <laughs> like we're doing this stuff, not because we're like, man, wait till our next song comes out. We're going to break and we're going to be the next hate breed. Like we, we literally just love this. <laughs> like that's it same that's why jared's doing the label you know and that's why it feels so like we're not doing we're not breaking the mold we're just literally doing what we like i don't write hardcore songs because i think someone's gonna like it i write this song because i would write this song if i was in my, my bedroom by myself this is like the music that's just coming out of me you know and that's what the same thing with like dean me and dean dude like yeah i hang yeah. out i hang out with him anyways like i i love <clears throat> his drumming i love everything he does you know yeah, it's the natural progression of just like all the music I it goes back to the Wu Tang clan. It's the shit I wanna hear. You know? Yeah. I've been waiting. <laughs> it's the shit that I wanted to hear. So yeah. it's and and then yeah, you you get in a groove with people. You know, I'm I feel extremely lucky to have had 10 years with Dawn of War with some of my best friends in life growing up. And then, you know, 
looking back, going in 10 more years with some of my other best friends. You know, not a lot of people get to do that shit. Like, musicians, you know, I don't even consider myself a musician. (laughs) Like, I just hang out with my friends and play music. Like, it's it's just fun to do. I we do it for ourselves like when when you look at it or the way I understand the way I think about it is once you get into it is like I got to make something work I got to I got to do something and I got to you know here's the next thing coming then it ain't going to work like it's got to be natural it's got to feel good and you know how many bands last 10 years you know, like, well, there's a lot of good bands that have lasted longer than that, even. Well, of course. How many shitty local bands? How last good 10 were years? they? How many? <laughs> how many great local bands though lasted yeah. one EP? You yeah. know, some of the best songs you ever heard. That's right. And then Kurtz, it was a couple of dudes that got EP, together, and they up. and they didn't vibe. They wrote some great music once, and then it was like. You know, and then it was over. Like I, I feel, you know, with with the way we carry, like shit, man. We we don't even fucking practice anymore <laughs> at this point. Yeah, because of like, COVID. Yeah, every, our, everything's our gone fucking jive. But we're uh, we still hang out. You know, we still talk yeah. at least. You know. Yeah, the second things are going, uh, our homie's going to let us jam at his spot. Uh, we actually have some stuff, like, speaking of working with Jared, we put out last July, unfortunately, it was during 2020, we put out our uh, the volume two, our second EP, uh, Under Sawyer Collective, and, uh, you know, we haven't got to play a show. So, like, the sec- I can't wait to play the record release show for that. <laughs> You know, whenever this COVID a year later. fucking stops. And then Jared's already talking about us uh, doing a split seven inch, uh, maybe by like December with, uh, I think, a band from Buffalo or, or Erie or something like that. Uh, another hardcore band out there that he sent me a link a few months ago. It was freaking they ripped. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that for sure. So that's like the thing. Look, you know, it's, it's got that's got the the fire going under me again. You know, like it's tough to practice when you have three kids. It's really tough to practice when you have three kids and there's no shows even possible on the horizon, you know, doesn't mean I don't love my band and like, but more than the band, I love the dudes in it. You know, it's like Dean, obviously one of my best friends. Uh, Casey's one of my best friends, Ralph and Nate, they play guitar. We haven't talked about that much. (laughs) Shout out to you guys, but. I was just going to say that, actually. Yeah, fuck those guys. I was going <laughs> to say that. The last time I saw you guys was that Bug Jar show with uh, Time and Pressure. And, yeah. and Nate was Nate was playing guitar at that point. When when did he join the band, though? Like, was it? So when I took over on vocals, uh, re- like, so I had just done the stint almost the whole time until right at the very end of Corey being the vocalist. Uh, I was I was the only guitarist in the band. And it fucking sucks playing guitar. You're like the only, when you're the only guitarist in the band. I mean, dudes that like four, AB four switch pieces. And shit. Yeah, I had two different heads, two different cabs with the AB switch, so I could like turn it to one, two. Like, 
I don't know. It's it just, it makes it fuller. It makes it better in my opinion for, for what we write anyways. Uh, some dudes do it and it fucking rips, but we aren't those dudes. So we brought Ralph in and made it better. And then when Corey left, like we really liked the two guitarists and I was taking over on vocals. So I actually took my kid to Swillburger. Uh, he wasn't in school yet. My, my middle son, Milo took him to Swillburger for lunch, just on a whim. And Nate was there getting lunch. And like me and Nate have been friends, you know, forever since he was like 21. I think I met him on his 21st birthday, actually. Uh, and I was like telling him about it. And I was like, yeah, you know, we're looking for a second guitarist, though. Like I was just telling him like what, what I've been up to. Uh, we got a new album written, you know, like or, or pretty close to done. Uh, looking for a second guitarist. So I'm going to take over on vocals. And he goes, yeah, I'll do that. And I was <laughs> like, do what? And he's like, I'll play guitar in the way we carry. So it didn't fucking be awesome. So Nate, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, such gold guitarist, such gold fame. But he also plays bass in uh, Holy War, which fucking another Rochester ripping band. They, those, they fucking rule. And then uh, he's been in other bands, but those are the ones everyone would recognize. Uh, so yeah, Nate's, a, Nate's an unreal guitarist. He's like, I would say the best rhythm guitarist ever, you know? And he says that he's not trying to do leads, but that dude is solid. His timing is so good. And his and he knows how to arrange a song. That's like the, the thing about volume one was pretty much done when he joined the band. He tweaked it for sure. But me and Ralph, you know, it was mostly us writing that. And then uh, volume two, me and Ralph were coming with songs and he's like, yeah, I like those riffs, but, they're in, like, we're not doing it like that. Like switching it here, there, whatever. And like, but every single time he was right. The kid would, you know, he just made it better. See, just let me, uh, let me touch on Derby a little bit because me and you wrote a lot of music together. But Derby is a songwriter. He is a, he's, he's something else. And having the privilege playing with him has been a, pretty unreal i mean we've written a lot of songs that'll never make the weight we carry cut because they're just they're too much like it's the dude's a ripper and he's a he's a professional we vibed immediately like i i feel privileged that he joined the band <laughs> then ralph for anyone who doesn't know ralph that that kid's like a natural hardcore guitarist that kid just he, he writes riffs that no one else but Ralph would write. And I, I, I sort of like dumb them down sometimes. So it probably doesn't come across as good as it should, but Ralph was in sideline, which is, uh, unfortunately they had a short stint in roster, but I think they put out one of the best EPs that's ever come out of roster unique. And just that, that, that fucking EP sideline. I think it's on their band camp sideline, New York, if anyone's never heard that, dude, go treat yourself. Sideline yeah. fucking is awesome. So when Ralph, when they broke up, he was like looking to keep playing hardcore without, he didn't want to skip a beat. Uh, I think he was like hanging out with Casey and Corey and they're like, dude, just be in our band. And then like the next day he's like, yo, they said I should like play guitar. Is that cool? And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, dude, that would rule. So, but like I said, that's the whole thing about weight we carry is we just, Everything we're doing is like, you know, not to be like goofy, but we're just vibing. 
<laughs> really we're not we're not doing anything else you know we're just hanging with our fucking homies writing music that we like we don't do it for any other reason than just we are writing the hardcore that we want to hear you know we, we, yeah like and that's the thing like you're doing it any other fucking way yeah you got to pay attention and do shows and book and stuff like that but you know anything else you're not punk and if you're not fucking punk you're a cop so like that Speaking of which, um, at the risk of turning this episode super long, I do like to kind of get in the defense <laughs> a little bit. But I know, I know we could probably turn this these next few topics into like an entire episode. So I'm not going to try to, you know, shorten your guys' opinions or anything. But let's try to keep time in mind. Um, yeah. Let's kind of go through a few topics of just things that have been going on. So obviously, COVID and the pandemic is something we've kind of touched on a little bit. Um, I think it kind of goes without saying how it's affected you guys as a band, but um, with with vaccines, if we want to go down that path, um, and everything else going on, like what are you guys looking forward to moving forward? Like when everything kind of calms down with all this. Uh, my thing is, man, I hope Bug Jar doesn't close. I like playing shows there. It's like such a party spot, like for like just local good hardcore shows, even bringing someone else through. But, like, yeah, being around friends again and, like, not, you know, as much as I question shit, like, you know, I don't question it, like, oh, it's not real or anything like that. I, I, you know, I, I believe it's real, but uh, I just question our government. So it's tough to just take it all at face value, I guess. I mean, I honestly couldn't point out anything I don't believe in it, but it's just, like, naturally just anything the fucking I, I see the government telling us, I generally, like, they're probably lying about something. You know, I just don't, can't tell you what. But whatever it really takes, man, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if I'm even eligible for the vaccine yet and shit, but my mom uh, lives with us and she's uh, disabled and she just got her first shot and seems to be doing okay so far. So, you know, when I'm eligible, I'll, I'll get the shit too, you know. I don't love vaccines or anything. I don't, like hate them, but it's just like, man, I just fucking, if everyone else is doing it, it's going to bring us back to normal. I'll fucking... I'm in line too, man. Whatever. I'll get it done. I want to fucking hang out and get back to at least a less shitty normal than we have right now. That's my take on it. Yeah. Basically, uh, since COVID hit, my wife has been working at home for uh, going on a year now. I'm in her office right now, you know, (laughs) recording this. Uh, 2020 was rough for everybody, man. But personally i think it was the best year of my life i got married uh i found out in december that i'm having a child and you know my this might be kind of controversial but my pregnant wife also just got her first dose so i heard i heard you speak about it on the uh the podcast with greg i think um, about waiting or whatever, you know, until the end of the pregnancy, which it's 100%, you know, it's a personal decision. I mean, she spoke with her doctors. She spoke with her family. You know, we had conversations. And, uh, you know, I think the, f- the fear of getting COVID and dying because you don't know if you're going to be the one, you know, 
and opposed to like the risk of taking a vaccine you know i'm gonna listen to what she has to say about that you know it's obviously it's personal decisions personal you know opinions or whatever the hell you want to think about but i mean in all reality i uh we're gonna get through this thing man and uh, imagine the first show back like <laughs> are the you shows gonna be, are gonna get better are you gonna be at least not for a little while. jumping off of people's heads or are you gonna be like eh, i better stand outside and not watch the band because there's a hundred people inside you know you're gonna be jumping off people's heads like yeah, That's I think shows I are gonna, shows it. are gonna help bring things back to normal for a lot of people. Uh, I think we're all ready for it, man. I think we've all. I don't know. It's like I said. It's all personal opinion. It's a little wild time to be alive, man. We're living through history. This is nuts. Yeah, I I think it's gonna be interesting to see for sure too. Uh, I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but I actually, speaking of COVID, making things different, uh, this actually leads into another subject that I want to talk about in a second too, but there was something that happened over the summer the last time I saw you guys. And again, I'm not trying to, it it was more my bad. I'm just not thinking about how things are now. I'm getting off my bike and I see you guys walking up and I'm like, oh shit, what's up, Dean? And I go to like slap you up or like shake your hand or whatever. And you kind of like took like three steps back. And I'm like, oh shit, yeah, we're in the middle of this COVID pandemic thing. Like, no one's shaking hands right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know if you remember that or not, but it was just. Nah, I don't. I was probably hammered. Probably. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were leaving Doyle's uh, like, yeah. get together. Ah, uh, yes, away, yes. So. No, 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 no. I, yeah, I couldn't remember what you were talking yeah. about. But yeah. yeah. No, I remember that. And I actually, I was hammered because I <laughs> yeah, drank we were, a lot of had, Jameson. Yeah, they had a lot of Jameson. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, you you rode up on your bike in your sweet bike suit. You look <laughs> sexy as hell. I don't know if I was wearing a bike. Uh, suit. And I wish, you know, I wish I could have hung out longer that day and really, you know, celebrated that's, more. But that, that was, you know, speaking of that day, man, Patrick Doyle. I don't think we haven't brought him up, man. That guy was a staple. He was a. Yeah, that's you know, what's going to be weird when shows come back. He was a mentor back. to, I think, everybody in the Rochester hardcore scene. That guy was – I remember the first time before I got married when my, you know, my wife, she used to be my girlfriend, <laughs> when she met him the first time, and she just had nothing but great things to say about him, like, because – of the kind of person he was. He was just such a genuine person. And man, Rochester is going to miss that guy. Like, yeah. we yeah, do. That's what I keep thinking of, like, how insane it's going to be, like, never seeing Doyle at a show again. Yeah. Like, that's just fucking. It's like, that's the thing. It's like, that dude, like, you'd be like on Instagram or Facebook and see he's like at, he's, you know, at Brooklyn Bazaar you know, at, at some freaking, you know, hardcore show. And then like the next day you have a show and he's there too. You know, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> it was bizarre. Like, dude just but, literally went to every show somehow. Like yeah, magic. To me, like 
he had the most energy out of anybody you've probably ever met. So to Always. see like shows taken away from us, you know, last March, and now yeah. like you're saying, Paul, to think about the first show back and him not to be there, it just it's it doesn't seem fair, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. we're all just gonna kind of have to represent for him, you know. I mean, it's yeah. you know forever and ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we were kind of talking about cops a little bit before, or slightly. Um, a lot of different things have happened over the years with police, but more of them have become like in the in the in the spotlight the last few years. Whether it's because of social media or just people are more awake to it. Um, but I guess I kind of want to get your guys' take about all that, like Black Lives Matter and just everything that's happened with like police and stuff like that in the last few years. Mostly, Dean loves cops. <laughs> nah, I I've had, it, I uh, I've had my uh, I've heard over the years like I, I spoke earlier on my uh, adolescent drug use a mushroom yeah I did a lot of you know I was lucky enough to not get into shit that would kill me but I definitely you know, had a lot of fun when I was younger and I got in a lot of interactions with police because of that. And, you know, being punk rock and, and, you know, I was a little fucking stoner asshole when I was a teenager. I got arrested a bunch and, you know, I had some good interactions with them and, and some bad ones. And, you know, I guess I, I'm just lucky, you know, when, when you think of the term, which I know might not be popular, but, you know, white privilege, I know about it. Like, I, I fucking talked a lot of shit and walked away, whereas, you know, it might have been a different story. And I understand that. And... um Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the police. Yeah, per se, for that. I mean, I don't know if you if you've ever listened to our music. I, we might have written a couple songs about you know that matter, but it's uh, I fully support the Black Lives Matter movement and same, you know, everything that, that goes on in the cause of justice and accountability, which there isn't any. And it's, it's fucking disgusting. And I listen to NPR news every day and it, it fucking drives me nuts how these, you know, the media reports on this shit, Basically, liberals. basically sure. with like a blanket, <laughs> like a blanket over yeah. them. Was like, oh, as long as we talk about it, we don't really have to, you know, really shed any light. And it's, it's fucking disgusting. It, it sickens me. It, you know, I'm about to be a father, and it, it worries me about the. You know, I know you guys got kids, and you guys, you know, Paul especially, years ahead of me. It worries me for the world that not only I have to keep living in, but uh, that I'm bringing a new life into 
and you know I, I, I'm thinking deeper than that, you know, what's the world going to be like for my grandkids or for anybody else's kids or grandkids or for anybody else personally, you know, I mean, it's, it's I could lose my fucking mind over this shit. <laughs> like, I just, yeah, it's, I'll melt down. I don't know. Yeah. With the kids thing, especially, uh, Man, it's like, uh, you know, I, I like, I used to pride myself on like not giving a fuck, basically. It's like when everyone said I was such an asshole back in the day. Uh, I definitely probably was. Um, and I, I always thought I was pretty nice to people off most of part. But now I have kids, man. It's like, uh, you know, each day, I, you know, I have an 11 year old, a seven year old, and a two year old. And it's like every day I see these different uh, interactions that they have. And, I'm like so aware of what they're going through, like with COVID and stuff like that, you know, like, you know, like they they are still going to school. My kids, we live in a really small town. There's only like 10 kids per class. Uh, so we're lucky in that sense. But like we talked, you know, me and my wife, we talked about what's going on with police and what's going on with like uh, all this stuff, like war, you know, not just with black lives matter, but like with war, with like the war on fucking civilians from the police, like, uh, and like, we kind of just run it by them to get their thoughts on it. And, you know, so far we've been pretty lucky in the sense that like, they, they like act like we're, like we're like lying, you know, we're lucky that our, our kids have good heads on their shoulders. You know, hopefully it's because of what we're doing, but like, uh, you know, we won't shy away from it and we, we have to do that. Like I don't spend all day long on Facebook anymore. I actually like don't. I haven't gone on Facebook in a long time because if it's 2021 and you still are like blindly supporting the fucking police, you're a fucking clown. Like, I don't need to tell you, I don't need to tell every fucking person that I'm sorry. You know, anyone listening that gets upset at that or whatever, but like, it's just, it's, it's pure ignorance at this point. If you don't understand the difference between black people unarmed black people just being literally murdered and they're and the, and the murderers walking free because of a fucking job title which by the way like our tax money pays for except for the fucking you know they're obviously revenue pirates as well but like it, it, you're just you're a fucking clown on every fucking level like it's just to pretend that shit's not real like it, it sucks because like I said, I'm not on Facebook every day talking about it anymore. I used to feel like I needed to be because it's the only thing I could do from my fucking house out in the middle of the country from my point of privilege. Right. You know, I felt like I needed to do something, but at this point, who the fuck doesn't know that I don't like cops. It's on my fucking Facebook friends list. Who, who doesn't know that I don't like, you know, what's happening to black people. Like I could argue with these people all day long, but that's, sort of my thing with politics is like, you know, policy matters. I don't give a fuck what anyone's saying anymore. You know what I mean? Like everyone's been saying the same old shit for fucking ever. Let's start doing something about it. Like no one's doing, sh and like no one right now, and the Democrats, Republicans, no one is doing shit. Everyone needs to get on board with that and then create a fucking rainbow coalition around it and be like, 
workers need more. You know, black people need more. Asian people need more. We all need more. No one's getting it from the people that have the power to fucking do it. And like, it's not about arguing with some fucking redneck on Facebook anymore. Like those days, we, we tried that for the last fucking like five, six years and it hasn't gotten better. It's probably just gotten worse. Everyone just needs to stop yeah. fucking rooting for their favorite football team, aka like their favorite politicians, and just be like to hold them accountable. They're like they're the ones that that have the fucking power to do something. I don't care who they are. I don't care if it's fucking Bernie Sanders. I don't care if it's fucking Trump. If they're saying they're going to do something and they're not fighting, call them out. Stop having a fucking favorite with that shit because that's how we're going to actually change things and make things better for regular people, black people, women, you know, whatever. Like. That's how you get empowered. You you hold people in power accountable. Like I, I we have it. We put out a shirt. Uh, whatever. I took like our logo and made it like a, you know, one three one two for a cab. And on the back, I wrote, "A weak mind blames the ones with no power." And that's kind of like, I'm really proud of that lyric. It's in, it's in one of our songs, because. That's like what I see everyone doing. Everyone punching down or punching left or right. Punch up. Like, if people don't have fucking power, why are you mad at them? They have just as much power to change things as you. Like, yeah, someone's being racist or whatever, call them out. Tell them not to be fucking racist. Explain why. You know, maybe knock them in their fucking head if it comes down to it. But, like, uh, the reality of our life is punching up. That's how we change things. And that's what I was going to say. You're, you know, we're, you said in the beginning, too, about not trusting politicians. It's, it's something that we've all kind of realized. We all kind of knew it before, but I think a lot of us realized in these last few elections that the two-party system's not really doing us any favors. And Exactly. You know, I mean, there's lesser evils for sure. Yeah, it's that's, not, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it's not helping. Obviously, you know, there's a big difference. You know, a lot of people are saying – some people will say there's no difference between Trump and Biden. I mean, I think there's pretty glaring, obvious differences between the two. But I, I do get the I, yeah. I do get the sentiment at the same time, though, that like for us, yeah. it kind of goes back to what Dean was saying, too, with the whole white privilege thing. Like nothing, nothing really feels or looks any different for us. Yeah. You know? I mean, I didn't realize that shit is, you know, in my youth, but looking back on it and even today, you know. But, like, the point you just made is the fact that, like, you know, my father is, you know, the boomer generation, 68 years old. I have this conversation with him all the time. Things aren't the same, you know. When he was my age, he already had two kids with a boat and a new car and a house, you know. And, like, I'm getting there. But I'm uh, ten years older than he was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's another thing about looking at kids. Future. I was, I guess, I was lucky enough to play it smart. But I mean, on those are the those are the cards that I was dealt. Though I mean, I don't have the same deck. You know, I'm playing with a couple of jokers. I got the same deck is stacked against me. You know, and I'm pretty young. You guys are older than me, but like. I couldn't imagine you would feel much different growing up in these times. I mean, even in the last two years, 
my father has changed his tone because all the shit I was talking shit about two years ago has kind of come to fruition, you know, like we're, I, I think it's the late stage of a failing capitalistic society and we're fucked. Like my, I'm fucked. <laughs> my generation is doomed. Kids that are younger than me that don't have a career, you know, I, I'm lucky enough. I got into a trade when I was 18 years old and I've been, you know, the band is what I do that I love. What I do for livelihood is I work my ass off every day in a shitty trade and it sucks and I hate it. You know, I kind of enjoy what I do for a living, but I don't like doing it for a living. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my father has a pension right now. He's making more money retired than he was when he was working. I'll never have that opportunity. Even though you've been paying into it. And I don't expect my children to. I don't expect, you know, generations to come to have anything. Like, we're just fucking doomed into. It's pretty gloom, man. I try and and remain a positive attitude. Like, the PMA, man, is one thing that hardcore has taught me is even as bad as it is, man, it's still not that bad. (laughs) You know, like. Well, yeah, always all day. It's a good attitude, but goddamn, that's fucking tough attitude to keep, man. Because shit, shit sucks, man. <laughs> like, one, one thing on I every learned, level. One thing I learned when I was booking a lot of hardcore shows in the early two thousands, though, as Paul just said, is it can definitely get worse. Because it definitely, I would lose a couple hundred bucks, and then the next week I would lose more, and the next week I would lose more. Yeah. So yeah. there was definitely a dark period, like you guys yeah. said, coming in waves where a lot of these influential bands, it just wasn't uh, that popular at the time, you know? Right. Uh, I had a couple other kind of current event type questions, but again, I don't really want this episode to get super long. So I think we should kind of jump into, I have a few other hardcore related uh, questions. So the next one, uh, again, I know Dean kind of had more of a chance to look through these questions, so this one might be a little more difficult for Paul to come up with off the cuff. Um, but a good friend of the podcast, Rob Antonucci, came up with this question. So I've kind of put it as a staple in the podcast. Um, if you were going to make like a Mount Rushmore of Rochester hardcore, and obviously we already kind of talked about a free square a couple minutes ago. Um, anyway, so each one of you guys kind of do your Mount Rushmore for, for Rochester hardcore if, if you're able to. Yeah, I actually I read it four. I wrote it down. So wait, we carry. Wait, we carry. Wait, we carry. Wait, we carry. Because we spit hot fire. Yeah. Nah, I think uh, you know, borrowed time for me is at the top because I'm younger, dude. I was a young kid. They were super influ- I think like Adam was a powerhouse to me uh fucking I met Nine Finger Jake I don't know remember if you know that dude but he passed away back in 2016 fucking I loved that guy I ended up working with him later in life we we worked in the same trade we had a good bond uh regardless anyways not really hardcore, but I think Psyopus. I uh, 
I shared a practice space with them at the warehouse and I watched these guys grind and I saw them live. I've never seen, I've never seen more talented musicians in my life. I saw, uh, that Australian guitarist, Jeff Beck. I saw Jeff Beck play before Chris Harp's back. <laughs> I mean, Probably. I'm just going to say that. And I've, you know, I've seen one of my biggest idols ever, Igor Cavalera. Saw him. But I've seen John the Brutal face to face. That dude gave me rudiment fucking workouts, you know. Regardless. Uh, another non-hardcore band that I put on Rushmore. I don't even know if they're considered Rochester. But some of the members are Mastodon. Those guys fucking rip. And I like, I don't know. I just, I feel like I just recently got into their catalog. (laughs) So maybe that's why I'm like thinking about that. And, uh, heavy hearted man, Pogue's old band. Man, Nate was in heavy hearted too. Oh, really? Our guitarist played in that band? I didn't even know that. Anyways, See, that's our depth of knowledge. I was yeah, about. but that that <laughs> fucking EP, they recorded five songs or something. Yeah. So good. And Will like, forever Hogue's lyrics, I mean, those lyrics meant a lot to me at the time in my life that it came out to the point where it was like, I don't know. I, that's the way I think about hardcore music is like – the first, the Blacklist album, when I heard that fucking, like, what, nine-minute album or whatever, it, like, those lyrics meant a lot more in my life at that time than they do right now. You know what I mean? And I think that's how hardcore kind of hits you. Like, it's fucking very relevant. And, you know... The hate breed riffs and shit, they stick through time, but like those lyrics will bring you back to a time in your life where, you know, maybe you were going through some shit and, you know, Chris Poe got of it. You know, he cuts my hair. I love the fuck kid. He wrote some lyrics that really touched my soul, you know, at that time in my life to where it's like, and, it's impeccable. Uh, that's where hardcore comes from. You know, that that's, that's what it means to me, you know? So I'll put heavy hearted up there. Am I up? Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bar time for sure. Bar time was like, uh, so in the mid two thousands, like I, like I mentioned earlier that like, uh, you know, maybe it's supposed to be fast answered questions, but I just realized that Josh is <laughs> looking for like quick, quick one. Yeah. Well, I just want to say this really quick. <laughs> Early in the mid two thousands, it was like it was tough for me. Like I said, I grew up like punk, and I, I came into hardcore through punk. So it was like a lot of the beatdown shit, and I like dancing, and I liked going to shows and partying and everything like that. But like, I really don't like beatdown. 
Like, I mean, I could get into it. Like, when you're at a show and the shit's happening, you're like, ooh, like, I get it. But, like, I'm not, like, listening to the shit on my own. And back then, it was like there wasn't a ton of bands. And then, like, but Borrowed Time and, you know, Borrowed Time and Dawn of War, those are my Mount Rushmore shit. Like, those were, like, that real fucking gritty New York fucking hardcore. But, like, different, (laughs) though. Our fucking version of that shit. Like, I don't know. And then, lucky enough for me, those were, like, friends you know what i mean like they like it's a tie who's got the best intro you know what i mean borrowed time or fucking done a war it depends on the day you know what i mean uh for that one ep you guys put out and then the fucking uh the no escape that that borrowed time put out i mean that shit just every time you put either one of those on they're good so yeah borrowed time done a war because like they saved me on a lot of that shit dude like i i was like I needed them back when that was happening. Uh, um, let's see who else. I'll say Achilles. Achilles fucking, you know, I know a lot of people probably like Stand Fast better, but like Achilles is so fucking good. Like Rob specifically, like the kid just does wild shit on guitar. Rory's voice, you know, the drumming. Uh, I don't know the drummer's name, but he was in Polar Bear Club too, right? Uh, I just can't remember his name right now. I, I, I never really, like, knew him or anything. Uh, I don't remember. Like, I mean, even, like, yeah, like, what, I think Jay? Or no, no, not Jay. Uh, what was the bassist name? I knew his brother, Jay. That's how I found out about Achilles. His brother was my secret Santa at fucking Parrington Pizza. He goes, yo, you like this kind of shit. It's my little brother's band. I was like, Achilles, I know them. Like, I'd heard of them, but I never listened to them. It was like the little blue demo and that In Light song. I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is fucking rips. And then, yeah, everything they put out after that rules. So, Achilles, who's my fourth? Fuck it, dude. I'll be the only one to – I shouldn't be, but I'll say Sideline. So, you know why, though? Not because they're, they're such a great hardcore band or anything like that. They did put out a fucking one of my favorite EPs ever. But when they hit, that like that like made me want to be better and write better songs. Like that's the shit that I was looking for. You know what I mean? Like I was like, damn. Like you know, I want everyone to succeed. I, you know, I never look at music like it's a competition for sure. But it, it almost you know it didn't give me competition, but I, it made me want to be better. Like, I'll say that about that EP. It came out of fucking nowhere. I didn't even know those kids. They were just some young-ass kids that were like, we like this shit too, man. Let's fucking do it. And they did it, and it was awesome. So, yeah. I thought you were I'll gonna, throw them on there. I thought you were going to say the way we carry for your fourth one for a second there. So no, did I. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do like, I do like our band, but I don't, I don't know if we're, if we're Mount Rushmore worthy. You know, it's, it's funny – uh, I know a lot of uh, juicy like shit talking stuff would probably make these episodes like popular, and I, but I don't name names. But I will say that in the early two thousands, when I stopped booking shows, it, there was a reason behind it, and there were people that kind of talked a lot of shit, and it kind of I guess I let them win is a short version of it. And there was a part of me around like two thousand three, two thousand four that was kind of done with hardcore and didn't really want to have anything to do with it anymore, just because of that. And we're literally talking about like three or four people. Again, I'm not going to name names because that's not really what I do. Yeah. Mm. So the moral, the point of the story is though, you talking about your Mount Rushmore, uh, Paul, I'm thinking about that era and, and it was bands like Donna War and Borrowed Time that kind of kept me going 
and 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 made me realize that like even if there are a few people that 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 fuck them you know for one um like this is this is something that that is 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 with me forever like it doesn't matter like what yeah. thinks what the outside people think or even what the few small people back then thought about what i was doing like the music and the things that have come from this are just too important so I guess with that in mind, like now that you guys are, are also kind of getting a little older, like what kind of keeps you guys grinded and motivated to be part of a, a culture like this? You want to go? Dan, you want me to go? Yeah, I mean, yo, Josh, I'll be 100% honest. Like your podcast at the beginning of this, pa- I, I think you started this like right at the beginning of the pandemic, right? It fucking reinvigorated me. Yeah, I did listen to the and first the like five music. or six episodes. Like, I, I honestly haven't listened much since then, but they were awesome. They need they hit right when I needed to, but I've just been like busy. <laughs> I don't listen to I'm not, I'm not listening to someone else. I'm like I listen to yeah. almost nothing. <laughs> I mean it like the the pandemic hit and we were kind of like on hiatus, you know, we'd social distancing, we're not in each other's group you know blah 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 and then i started listening to your podcast right when you started doing it and i was like fucking revved up again man it got me it got me into listening like the episode you did i think the first episode you did with mike jeffers who i personally don't know but after listening to that podcast i definitely know i've played with that dude mad time you know i i've he played in face panic and shit we played shows together yeah, we, we i just personally don't know him but listen to that podcast hearing him talk hearing that whole conversation i was like man i gotta start listening to old shit i gotta start listening to new shit and it got me like reinvigorated and hardcore so i'm gonna give a lot of credit to you man and i you know this podcast is kind of turned me back on to that mentality of like i gotta keep it fresh you know you know there's mad shit i haven't heard there's mad shit that's new like maybe i don't like it but I got to give it a shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? I spend most of my time listening to uh, the same four Death Threat albums. Uh, I, I do a lot of I've that been, stuff too. Dude, man. I've been listening to everything that Product of Waste recorded. It's like the best on loop, ever. Like every day at work, just to keep my sanity. Like. Yeah. Me and Dean love this shit. We want to you know, write every another, song like that. Another one I caught off of your uh, your podcast with Vogel, with Scott Vogel, was uh, the Griselda shit, man. And it got me into this fucking yeah. this realm of of fucking hip hop that I hadn't really heard yet. Like I know fucking they signed to Shady Records or whatever, you know. But I never really got into it. And then once I started listening to that Griselda shit, I'm like, oh, fuck. I got to keep up with Benny on Instagram. I got to keep yeah, up I, with I, this I, shit. I to follow him. Catch all this too, new actually. shit, you know? Yeah. So, like, 
you know, how we started off the podcast with the shit that I grew up on, you know, classic rock, and you said it, like, you wouldn't admit you were into ska or rap or anything like that. Like, I never listened to country music or rap when I was a kid because I didn't grow up with that. But as I got older, man, like, I, I love that shit, you know, fucking all realms and uh yeah dude i've been listening to a lot of old hip-hop i guess that kind of fucking it keeps you going with anything man like just fucking music in general i don't even think yeah. it needs to be hardcore like that's what it is in me too music in general and just keeps it keeps you going and then when i am like oh man i gotta go back and listen to no warnings old blood you know yeah. <laughs> it's like smash you know like a moshing in the shop <laughs> you know like so uh, one really the only thing that keeps me fresh with fucking writing hardcore music is hanging out with my homies like what do you guys want to do today and we haven't had that opportunity in a while i can't wait to get back to it like same one current band that I would recommend if you guys haven't already checked out is uh, God's Hate. I don't know if you guys are. I feel like we were here with Terror a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was real. They put an LP out that recently. That's just fucking. Oh amazing. really? I'll They're dig just, into it. I didn't know they put anything new out. It's out digitally, and they put out like the first press of the vinyl. And I'm gonna try and order the second press if it's still available because it's, it's 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 fucking hard. Like we were talking about Hatebreed earlier. Like it's I hear a lot of old Hatebreed in them, and and a lot of the like Marauder and just a lot of that, like just, just stuff that you want to fucking take some steroids, you know, it's <laughs> fucking, it's hard. Yeah. Um, I'll look into it. Yeah. So I only got a couple more questions I and mean, we're, we're kind of hitting, hitting a, a three hour mark pretty soon. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I mean, I'll edit this obviously, but yeah, as long, you know, um, my wife, my yeah, wife told I, me, she goes 10 o'clock. She was gonna be up to you and Paul are talking. <laughs> yeah, I got to say I assume not that new of a band, but I feel like they've put out enough in the last year to keep me like feeling like I'm listening to new shit. Is Mind Force? I feel like that band. Uh, I mean, they fucking ruled before, but like, I, I hope that like we come out and they're like the fucking ones, dude. Like those dudes, they kept putting new fresh shit out. Still sounded like they're still sound like they are having fun. I love that shit. Like uh those dudes rule. Uh hip hop, I don't listen to much hip hop, but I will say, in my opinion, Gangstar's Moment of Truth is the greatest hip hop album. I mean, like I'm talking like it's up there with like thirty six chambers and shit like that album. It's totally different, but holy fuck. I know you're a hip hop guy, so I don't know where you're that at album, on that, but that album has two of my favorite verses. Uh, in hip hop history, and they're not from Guru actually. Inspector Deck from Wu hasn't has oh. a verse on that gangster. Dude, on, a, on above the clouds or whatever. Yeah, I can recite that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I could do it with you. That's I've probably listened to that song, you know, a million times maybe. I don't know, dude. I think you should uh, both do it right now. <laughs> probably not. Probably not going to. But Freddie Fox also goes in for like three minutes at the end of the Militia on that album too, which is flawless. So you know, I could talk about hip hop like seriously. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I I remember you talking about this on a previous episode. How you could start a new podcast about hip hop. Yeah. 
Hip-hop that's the thing. I don't have those depths of knowledge, man. I don't know yeah. what it is. I, my brain just I've been listening pain. to more old school hip hop and rap music than hardcore in the last fucking year. The last three days, I've listened to Fear Factory's Obsolete album probably like 10 times, maybe 20 times. That album fucking rips. I don't care if people think it's new metal or shitty, but that album fucking rules. Yeah, like how you guys were influenced by like classic rock and stuff growing up. Like I listened to all rap music. Like I, my, I mean, my parents didn't really, like my mom listened to a lot of pop music in the 80s, so she turned me on to some of that shit. But like I just, I had an older sister who was into a lot of rap, and then a lot of kids in my class got into it, and it was all... Well, it was a generation, man. Yeah. yeah, like that's the thing is like '90s kids who grew up in the '90s and like were like, you know, aware, not like babies. Like, exactly. We, we had baby, such a good yeah. hip hop era yeah. that even though I don't listen to a lot of hip hop, I still fucking like loved it then. You know, like Snoop Dogg and shit, Easy yeah. E, like that fucking like Easy E. Like that's the thing is a lot of people like Snoop Dogg and Dre. Like, Easy E is my favorite, which is what I modeled my. Neon King Kong rap after. That's why I was rapping about my dick and shit like the whole time. So I just like funny one liners are I love it. You know what I mean? It makes yeah. me giggle every time. And that's why I was like, I want to do that shit like Easy did. Kind of wrapping things up a little bit. Uh obviously we don't really have like a a, a, a set time on when things are gonna open back up like for shows and all that. But like what do you guys have? Like, if there, if any, like, what are your goals for, like, when things do kind of open back up and you can, like, play shows and stuff like that? Like, I have this thing envisioned almost like that, uh, almost like that Elixir show. Get, like, homies together. I mean, basically, like, what Sirens of Sailors has been doing, to be honest with you, like, but do, like, a fucking thing at a bigger venue like that because I know those are going to be the, the first opportunities to open up. Uh, like a big venue and get yeah. a good good like a good array of bands and just fucking pack the thing out to whatever they let us and then you know once that like you know maybe we don't get on a show like that maybe we you know do a, like a lodge show or something like that first I either want to do like a show where it's a whole fucking day and everyone can see each other again in one fucking place you know like the elixir show bring everybody in as such gold sirens us you know borrowed time fucking like uh greg's got a new band like you know like they they he was hitting me up before this shit started he's like yeah i think we'll be ready soon like we got a demo and stuff coming along then this shit just put everything on hold i want to get everybody going like i just want to get everyone together and what i want everyone to realize is that like we have a fresh start to do it all right it doesn't have to be clicky it doesn't have to be fucking like whatever, like we could do a big show to kick things off. And then from that point on, do fucking three to four band shows at like lodges and bug jar and fucking people's basements and like get the underground fucking hardcore Rochester people back on track, get kids into it, you know, with like lodge shows and stuff like that. Like kids are going to be ready to go out again. You know, like I think before a lot of people were falling back on video games and whatever like yeah, the next yeah, genera- yeah. next generation wasn't coming through unfortunately I, I don't disagree with that but i i honestly think that when things come you know things are coming back i mean when they can have shows again it's going to be a, a 25 or 50% capacity you know 
So you're not going to have that 600-person show or whatever. You're going to have a 150-person show. And yeah, which is fine. That's which a would, show. Which would be dope. <laughs> but, I mean, like, how many people are going to be, like, super go-getter to go to go to that show? A lot of people, I you know, I, I, I'm speaking honestly. I'm not going to be like hyped out like, oh, man, I got to go to this packed out venue with a bunch of crust punks to go fucking sniff their farts. You know what I mean? Like, I love that, though. (laughs) Yeah, but in reality, like, I think the majority of of people, I think, are going to be a little weary. And, uh, you know, Yeah, I think I'm sort of speaking on, like, our first show back, I guess. Like, our band's first show. Not necessarily, like, we're going to be the first band to play in Rochester again. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to wear a mask, and I'll be behind the drum set. Everybody will be screaming in your face. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing I worry about. Like, that's going to take away. (laughs) If there's 150 people there screaming and shitting on each other and sweating on each other and whatever, like... Well, no, you know, I'm saying that it, that's going to be gone from hardcore now. Like it can't be though. That's not. That's not I, a possibility. Like it's like people are going to be, be wonder. People are going to go to hardcore shows and wonder why there isn't a fucking gate five feet from the stage. What the fuck, man? Were they not safe here? <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you mean? I can't jump off you. Like I, I don't like that. That that's how it's going to be when we first come back. But you know, baby steps. We'll figure it out. We always do. Uh, I assume when it comes back, it'll get. It's gonna get ripped down. Like if there is that kind of regulation, like and you allow fifty, thirty, allow thirty hardcore kids into a fucking venue, they're gonna rip the place down. Like, but I think there's a lot. There's a lot of. a lot of un- uncharted territory that we still have to kind of get yeah through. we're not there yet yeah, you know I, um yeah i definitely I, want to see shows again and as i've mentioned on this podcast and talk to other people about i definitely plan to book shows again in the future i yeah i think i'm gonna do something that sounds similar to what you guys are talking about doing like Say, for example, things were to open up tomorrow, I would probably wait six to nine months before I would start booking shows again, possibly right. a little bit longer, just to see how things are and how we're going to go around the capacity regulations. Because, of course, yeah. Like, I'd want to book a few local shows too, but I'd also want to book like bigger touring bands. And I don't know how that's going to work with, you know, capacity restrictions. So we'll have to see how all that works uh, down the line, obviously. But, I feel like it's going to be a challenge. And I remember listening to the, you had an episode with Bill Page or whatever, like months ago, kind of, you know, we were still in the earlier stages of this pandemic. And, uh, you know, he might've known what he was talking about with all this shit. Like it's going to be different. Everything, everything after, you know, a year ago today, it's different. And gazebo shows at Charlotte Beach, I played those. I don't know if they'd let us anymore. Yo, 
said be the hot shit. Everybody's jumping on the, out, the outdoor show. Fun, outdoor man. show. It's just crazy. Outdoor shows are dope. Like when fun. this when this all first started last March, we all thought initially maybe we'd be locked up for like a few months at most. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody even. I didn't that think long. that. I, yeah. I dude, I was the biggest nihilist. My wife hated me. I you know it was before we got married. Like we weren't even married at the time. I told her like. We're all gonna get sick. We're all gonna die. <laughs> like Jesus that's Christ. just the way I think. You know, I like I didn't think it would be that bad, but I thought I I, I knew this was real though. You know what I mean? But like yeah, what I'm getting yeah. at is, like initially when we were first locked up, the idea of maybe a couple months, whereas now it could be even longer than that, just See, to get the vaccine more widely distributed to where we have shows and stuff. You know what I mean? Just it's just crazy to think like. There's no real, no one knows how long it's going to be. Like people are booking shows for the fall now and stuff, but you don't know. I had tickets tickets to go see Rage Against the Machine last year, man. I had never seen them. I was pretty hype on that. Like I'm finally going to get to see Rage Against the Machine. And then the pandemic hit. They postponed their tour for a year. Yeah. Maybe forever, dude. Yeah. You know, it's like. When's the better time than now to see Rage Against the Machine? Yeah. <laughs> they they pick their timing right to do a uh, reunion tour, and then COVID hits, and now it's okay. That's the real conspiracy. Maybe. That's that's why this hit, dude. Yeah, just to, <laughs> to keep stop. Rage off the stage, yeah. Yep. They were going to invigorate the revolution. You heard it, you heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> so... By the time we edit this and maybe add a couple of songs, we should be well over two hours. Is there anything? <laughs> yeah. Is there anything we didn't touch on that either one of you guys want to mention before we give like final plugs and shoutouts? I think we're good, man. I'm good, anyways. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, yeah, I can we've touched on. I can go man. on forever. <laughs> I could. I, I enjoy right. talking to to you both. Of you, yeah, so. honestly, like this has just been fun because. For one, I haven't seen Paul in a while, but Josh, I haven't talked to you in a long ass time. It's just cool yeah. talking, man. <laughs> like, it's fun, man. Like when this pandemic hit, this is what I was doing on every Friday, Saturday night. Yeah. Zoom fucking parties, dude. Just getting lit, hanging out with friends because we couldn't hang out anymore. <laughs> like it's a bunch of bullshit, but yeah. We're getting there. All right. I guess with that in mind, uh, if either one of you guys wants to give any other closing comments or shout outs or plug, you know, all the stuff on Sawyer, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many copies of volume one are left, if any, but volume two is out on Sawyer. We haven't had a show to play. So the copies we have, I've sold like two of them uh, because I don't see anybody. <laughs> um, but you can get that on Sawyer Collective volume two out now. Uh, we're definitely going to have, you know, something either by the end of this year out again uh, on sore year. I, I want to just keep writing, keep recording while we have this opportunity, you know, but everyone's got to feel safe. So uh, that's really it. You know, I don't have anything else to, to, to pitch. I don't have anything besides the band. Oh, my wife's tattoo shop, old friends tattoo shout out. That's where I am right now doing this podcast. 
Yeah, Josh, I want to uh, give a shout out to you, man, because I think I told you earlier, but you started this podcast at at a perfect time to, uh, it helped me through this pandemic in the earlier stages of it. I got, I started listening to the episodes you had done at the time and it like, you know, the friends that I had been missing and the shows that I had been missing and everything that kind of fell to the wayside and amongst, uh, you know, fear and paranoia and bullshit. You know, I, I was never out of a job. I was deemed an essential worker. Me, nothing really changed in my life besides not being able to see and and talk to people and hang out with friends. And uh, this, this enterprise hardcore podcast is really like fucking got me reinvigorated listening to hardcore music, turned me on to a lot of different shit that I, that I wasn't into that I hadn't heard before. And uh, I want to give you mad props that. And, uh, like I said, my wife has been a goddamn saint. I, uh, you know, 2020, as hard as it was, best year of my life. Yeah, your wedding was dope. I'm so pretty happy for you guys having a kid. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'll give you father. that. Father, congratulations yes. to you. You're going to be daddy number two, right? You got your second one on the way. This is, uh, it's, it's, as as tough as things are, it's a dope time to be alive, man. Like, because we're not done. We're, what's, be- what's better than that? Yeah, I guess. Could be dead. Yeah. But, I mean, thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Thank you for having us on here. Yeah, I know we I talked a long podcast. time. <laughs> Tight, dude. I love it all. Thank you, man. We'll do the best we can to edit this down. Uh, I appreciate all the, 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 the kind words, Dean. Uh, I appreciate you guys coming on to do this tonight. Uh, I want to thank Rob Antonucci for all the continued support with the podcast. Uh, thanks to Greg Benoit for always helping support the podcast. Thanks to my family for the never-ending support. The next few episodes will feature Brian Rao Eric from Brothers Keeper, Derek Dole, uh, Jared from Sawyer, like we talked about tonight. Uh, we're going to do a part two of 2001 Rochester Hardcore at some point, and there'll be a bunch of other episodes. So as always, follow us on Enterprise, EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com. Thanks, everybody, and stay safe.